All right. I'm really excited today because uh, it's the first day we're kicking off with our sponsor, Merrick. Appreciate them for uh, signing on with the Power Project. Um, but, you know, something that uh, has kind of annoyed me over the years is when, you know, my dad or an uncle of mine or, or somebody in the family goes and gets blood work and um, they come back and all they have is like their cholesterol done. And I'm like, shit, man, they drew blood. They went through all that trouble. It would have been nice if we had kind of a, a more comprehensive panel that included uh, your testosterone, some of the hormones that are involved in uh, checking your libido, some of the hormones that are involved in, um, making sure you're able to still build muscle mass the way you were when you were young or uh, still be able to uh, burn fat optimally. It'd be great to know more. And now with uh, our company Merrick for men and women, there's a hormonal profile that you can go on their website and sign up for. And I think the male profile, there's over 26 different things being checked out and uh, it can give you some great information back. And not only are you getting those hormones tested, you're going to get those hormones interpreted, which is the biggest part of it because <laughs> who the heck knows that much information uh, just kind of offhand about cholesterol, testosterone, cortisol, all the different things you're going to see. Yeah, and Seema, can you list off some of the uh, like the highlight uh, lab panels that people are going to receive with the uh, Power Project uh, panel from Merrick Health? Yeah, it's total test, free test, DHEA, uh, IGF-1, SHBG, vitamin D, magnesium, iron, insulin, a lipid panel, um, C-reactive protein. There, there's there's a lot. There is a lot, but it's like literally all the things that you'll really need to know. And then the, the cool thing is that if there's anything specific that like we might not have, which we have it all that you'll probably need. But if there is anything, you can literally just add it into the test. It's that simple. It's on the page. You can click, add it in. You're good to go. Yeah. What, what I really like about the panel that we put together is, you know, we have access to the most like high level uh, people in this field. Right. Um, so we kind of listed out. We told Merrick what we wanted to see. And then they gave us back a panel and we kind of got the uh, the OK from the powers that be uh, the, the higher ups. And they said, well, this one's cool. But how about we do this? And then we yep. got that back. And then, you know, we kind of we came we came down to like a, a, a good set of panels or uh, labs in this panel. But we still mean and Seema, we kind of went back and forth and we, you know, we kind of wanted some changes to happen. So that way we can give you guys like the absolute best deal. Got the OK from Mark. And that's what we have for you guys today. So the the Power Project uh, panel, um, like Mark said, it consists of like about 26 different labs. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it is everything that you guys are going to need. And um, this all like with Merrick, it is a lot cheaper than some than if you were to go to, I mean, your primary care or if you were to go to any of these websites that you can order labs, uh, you know, privately on your own and pay out of pocket. It's going to be cheaper than that. But this panel itself is $500. Now, when you go on to uh, MerrickHealth.com slash Power Project, it'll take you directly to our panel. Um, at checkout, you can use promo code Power Project, and that's going to get you $101 off. So this amazing panel that is already cheaper than everything available right now is going to now be only $399. I mean, that (laughs) I wish I had something like this back when I was doing labs every couple of months for my experiments and stuff. 
am. I mean, I, I seriously like th- this is this is an incredible deal. And like I said, we went back and forth between us and Merrick to make sure that we got you guys the perfect panel that has everything you guys need. Again, that's at MerrickHealth.com slash power project. Don't be, uh, you know, don't get sticker shock when you see the $500 price. That's just what everyone else gets access to. But because you guys are listeners, you can use promo code power project. And again, that's going to bring the price down from 500 to $399. The biggest thing that, what that Mark, um, mentioned, um, you know, when you go to another one of these websites, you're going to be able to get the labs, you know, drawn. You're going to be able to get the, you know, the results and whatnot. And then they set you off on your own. With this uh, panel, you actually get everything written for you. You get the explanation of what the hormone is, where your levels are, where they should be. And if they are not, they'll give you actual recommendations on what you can take. And this doesn't mean you're going to start pinning yourself day one. No, these are like over-the-counter recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this is something that I wish I had access to, you know, about a year, two years ago now, I should say. Um, because, yeah, once you get your labs, you kind of have to know somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. And <laughs> it's really hard to find that. So with Merrick and the Power Project, uh, we made all that easy for you. And again, it's just it's it's so simple. And we, you know, I, even if you feel right now that you aren't really in the need for like any like optimization, we'll say, um, this is the best time to actually get your labs done because now you can look back one day and be like, Oh, when I was this age, I felt this way. I felt great. I wonder what my numbers were. Well, when you do that, you can actually have something to look back on. So when you get your labs done later, you can be like, Oh, I should probably figure out how to bump this number up and this number up. But yeah, again, MerrickHealth.com slash power project, uh, add that power project bundle to your cart and at checkout use promo code power project to bring that price down to $399. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it. And, um, it's a big deal. And I think along with today's guests, uh, it goes in line really well. Vigorous Steve knows a lot about, uh, hormones and, um, just all kinds of different, uh, different ways to uh, optimize your health, basically to get in better shape. And, you know, it's not always about, uh, you know, taking uh, hormones, it's not always about, you know, hormone replacement. For those of you that have been confused by maybe the ad that we just kind of read there, it is a hormone replacement therapy uh, or hormone optimizing um, uh, type of business, Merrick Health. And uh, that is kind of what they specialize in, but it's not always, uh, you know, just prescribing testosterone or just prescribing uh, Anavar or T3 or, or those kinds of things. They'll kind of mold to whatever it is that you need uh, as an athlete or whatever you need as a, uh, as an individual to get you to where you want to go. But let me tell you this, like, obviously, well, not obviously, some people won't believe it, but um, I got my labs tested. I don't plan on like doing any hormone replacement therapy, but it was a really cool thing because like there were certain things that that they mentioned that I should pay attention to. Like, I think there is something uh, so so <laughs> if you all don't know, I smoke a bit here and there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to like a little bit of elevated prolactin. And I didn't realize that that was, you know, and it's not really anything to worry about, but it was something good to to know. Also, they mentioned that I'm low on borons. So they mentioned that I might want to eat some raisins or dates to get that up, uh, or I could actually supplement some boron. And the cool thing is that the doctor who I was talking to, 
Um, and this was all in the lab review also. It was, all the suggestions for the supplements I should take to get everything, literally normal supplements was all in my lab review. Um, he was mentioning how it's like, it's like, food first. And then if you can't get it from food, you can get it from supplementation. And like, if there were really any problems, then the hormone, the HRT was stuff, but like there's, they give you all the resources as far as like the supplements or food you should buy to deal with shit. They tell you also about, you know, different things you might be able to take to change the levels uh, through uh, some pharmacology. But they also warn you like, Hey, if we do that, then this makes this happen. And if we do that, then we have to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then you'll have to come back and get your blood. So they're not just like, hey, man, like, here's how much testosterone you got to take. You know, they're not they're not like pushers. It doesn't it doesn't uh, work that way, but it does give you access to being able to optimize your health. I think it's amazing because, you know, I grew up uh, in just a totally different time and it was like, hey, just ask the biggest guy in the gym about steroids and like that's (laughs) kind of how we we did stuff. And you have to also keep in mind that, um, you know, these hormones, they're some of them are scheduled three drugs. Like there's legality behind it. And this is a, this is a legal way to do it and a, and a safe way to do it, a way to uh, ensure that you're, you're not going to do damage, that you're going to have a professional kind of walk you through it. And I just, I'm really excited about it because for many years I've been wanting to tell people like, Hey, just go get this test. And uh, now we have that ability. So it's really awesome. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good, good. It's a little late on this end, but hey, time zones, right? I like that background. That what got mic, going on thank you. There. That mic is Thank amazing. you. I went to, I had to go professional, you know, now that we're uh, all on YouTube frequently. I have to do the setup a little bit more professional. Yeah, what happened to the couch, so, man? Be, <laughs> <laughs> no tank Yeah, so top. the couch got retired. The couch got retired. The tank top is uh, coming back soon. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I basically got the green light today that I'm ready to get back on uh, some performance-enhancing drugs. So the tank top will return <laughs> shortly. <laughs> oh, the tank, <laughs> the tank top's only out when the uh, shoulders are capped, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they're just hidden, you know? They, uh, they got to stay hidden until uh, the, the, the caps uh, come back. So how are you guys doing? Is, is, this is not too early for you guys. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little early for us. Yes. Okay. So thank you, thank you guys so much for uh, waking up early. And because I was expecting you guys in uh, in your your own studio, and then uh, but I guess everybody's like, okay, well, maybe we'll do that later. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah well, uh, it would be great to uh, have you come meet us. We're out in uh, Sacramento. It'd be great to have you at Super Training at some point. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really hope these uh, borders are becoming a little bit more lenient towards traveling. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still waiting for my uh, vaccination passport mm. because here in Thailand, they vaccinate Thais first and then the foreigners. Ah. So it might be another six months <laughs> before I can leave. How did you get into uh, being uh, so well-versed in all these different uh, hormones? It seems to be a, a complicated uh, topic did you go to school for it or did you just kind of learn no, the hard way i just learned the hard way and then uh, trial and error and made a lot of mistakes in my days and uh, then as you make mistakes uh, side effects manifest and then you learn the hard way so over time i just keep learning and learning and learning you know, doing the research and studies talking to other bodybuilders right who are uh, more knowledgeable following uh, guys like you uh, or john meadows dr scott stevenson right and you just pick things up and learn more and more and more. 
And then at one point I felt comfortable enough that I would be able to do a YouTube channel and right, share what I've learned along the way. And I continue to learn because it's such an interesting topic. I think this is a great place to start because uh, we're seeing more and more young people um, just want to jump on these uh, steroid cycles. And I don't know, uh, you know, how, how smart that is for people to do. Um, what is some of your take, you know, what are some of your experiences with the negative side effects? Um, I'm kind of hearing more people have uh, kidney problems, liver problems, heart problems. And then all the guys that ever take stuff, they're like, ah, it's not steroids. You know, it's, it's because I have this genetic you know, disposition or <laughs> genetics, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's genetics or, or whatever yeah. it might be. So what have been it's, some of your own experiences and what do you think things are linked to, uh, you know, the, the abuse and use of performance enhancing drugs. So, so there's like two camps, right? There's, there's a camp that takes performance enhancing drugs actually for performance and right? the, the strength sport athletes, the people that compete. And then I fall into the other category, uh, the recreational performance enhancing drug user, because I don't compete. I never did a bodybuilding show. I didn't uh, do a strength show. So I, I purely take it for recreational purposes. Now, the guys that fall into this category, they get inspired by the guys that take performance-enhancing drug for their sport. And those dosages are usually a little bit higher because they need to be competitive. And then the recreational bodybuilder or, or lifter, they're like, okay, this guy's doing a gram of trend. I got to do a gram of trend. But in 99% of the cases, that doesn't pay off. So, right, and this is how you learn the hard way. So you read online on some of the message boards, the steroid forums where only people are that follow bodybuilding and take steroids or they do strength sports and they're, they're kind of one-upping each other. You know, I'm, I'm doing 300 train. No, I'm doing 700. I'm doing a thousand pro and I'm getting great results. No pictures, no proof, right? This is the good old days when we all went to the steroid forums. So then you feel incentivized. Okay, I'm going to give this a try. You know, 700 train is okay for me. Let's try a thousand on that experiment and last for 10. Yeah, <laughs> I see his eyes rolling already. So that experiment lasts for four weeks. And then you're like, you're, you're have next uh, level trend rage, right? It's not road rage, but it's trend rage. And you have night sweats. And man, all kinds of side effects, you know, and high blood pressure on the leg press, right? <laughs> so that, that's how you learn the hard way. But, but back then, we, we didn't have YouTube or, or people who talk about it openly. And it's still an issue nowadays is a lot of guys that downplay everything, right? So I feel inclined now after 20 years in the sport, 10 years drug-free and 10 years enhanced and now drug-free again. Well, uh, there's always something in, in play um, that I feel I have something to share. Maybe the next generation I can say, okay, if you want to go on performance enhancing drugs, start low. And then build your way up as needed, right? We don't have to listen to the pro bodybuilders and, and what they're maybe 50% sharing. And then we hear through the grapevine, oh, 15 units of growth hormone and, and, and this much steroids. And right? so you just start somewhere and then slowly build up depending on how happy you are with the results and how you can mitigate the side effects. But now that it's so open, I think a lot of kids are starting at 16. I started at 26. I was late to the party. Yeah, we still did stupid stuff. Um, 
I, I think it's a learning journey for everybody, you know? Hey, man, I'm, I'm real curious about this because whenever I'm on social media and I see, like, like especially on fucking TikTok, man, especially on TikTok, I'd be seeing some kids with, with pages and they're, like, 18 and they've already hopped on or 19 or fucking 21 and mm -hmm. they've only been lifting for two years. I'm just wondering, like, uh, for, from what you've seen, what you've experienced, is there, first off, something that younger individuals need to watch out for? Because I feel like when you're so young and you're developing and all of these things are going crazy in your mm -hmm. body as far as puberty and you're growing, that's not necessarily the place to add in all this pharmacology and chemistry. I feel like, no, yeah, like, I, like, I highly agree. What can, what do they need to be watching out for? Because like, it just doesn't seem smart at, well, it's not smart, but like, what do they need to be paying no. attention to? Well, they need to accomplish a few things in life. And, and, and one of them is kind of figuring out who they are as a person, right? So if you're, if you're very clear what you want, okay, I want to be a pro. Well, hopefully you can look at your parents. If they have amazing calves, maybe you're set up to be a, an awesome pro. Yeah, it's, you need, you need to have some sort of genetics to be a pro, right? So you see that on a lot of these guys, you say, I'm going to go pro at, at 19, but some do, mm. right? But it's a small percentage. So. I would tell everybody that's young, figure out really what you want in life, but that might take a while. And then if you really want to go for it, get some guidance because there are plenty of guys out there with 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years of experience who can guide you through the process. But there's also something to say for, is it going to be a phase, right? I used to smoke weed when I was in Holland, when I was 16 years old, smoke weed, peer pressure, right? And I haven't smoked weed in in decades now. So that was just a phase. And I think steroids will be a phase for a lot of kids as well. I mean, I even saw that 20 years ago when kids in my school, they were popping D-ball and Anadrol tablets from their parents. Popping? Right? Just and like... They, mm, yeah, 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 really. <laughs> it's great. And that was before social media, right? Before we were exposed to this stuff. The, the dad was a, a, a powerlifter or something, right? And he had just Dianabol in the kitchen cabinet. You know, those, those 500, uh, Dianabol five milligram and we did, and the guy would just take it, not knowing what it was. So yeah, this is creatine and it would blow up, you know, covered in pimples, gynecomastia, that kind of, yeah. So this stuff will always be there. And I, and I honestly think that nowadays with the oversaturation for information, I, I think the kids who want to make a bad decision can make that faster. And the kids who want to make a good decision can make that faster also, because I get these messages all the time. And I help so many teenagers or 21, 22, 25 through their first cycle, but I make them earn it, right? Let's increase the calories. Let's focus on strength. Let's get all the health supplementation in place. Let's do blood work a couple of times. Let's see if we can reach your natural potential first and then think about a first cycle, right? They have to earn it, at least if they come to coaching with me. We're in some uh, interesting times right now. I mean, there's uh kind of a drug for every every single thing that you can think of and uh you mentioned yeah. you know um maybe like know what you want to do with your life <laughs> and proceed from there but the interesting thing about that is if you figured out what you want to do it with your life then you can kind of pick your pharmacology <laughs> accordingly yeah uh, according to what you want to so do because there's there, stuff you know? for studying there's stuff for being leaner there's stuff for being stronger i mean there's all kinds of different drugs there's something for everything, you know, for feeling sad, feeling good. It's, it's very easy. And, and even with the commercials on TV, and I, I know in America, it's, it's quite bad, right? Where there's so many commercials and then you have this 
they, they talk the disclaimer like super fast to the point they're almost stumbling over their words. Right? It might cause yeah. diarrhea. <laughs> that million other disclaimer notes that you can't even listen. Now, I think pharmacology is such a huge part of our lives nowadays because everybody wants a little bit extra. And I, I honestly don't think that there's something wrong with that, but there's a difference between reckless and abuse and then informed use and right, using something to put something into practice. But there's, you always try to push the boundaries, man. Right? Okay, this, well, this I, dose is doing something well for my, I, maybe I want to double it. Let's see if I get more productive or you know, better results. So you always push the boundaries. And even as conservative as I am re- uh, nowadays, I still like to push the boundaries sometimes. Yeah, I like so, what you said about you know being able to uh, accomplish something. Um, I think that that's that's huge. You know that, or you should accomplish something before you you know decide to hop on, figure out what you want to do with yourself. Yeah. Um, so for yourself, you said you you don't compete. Um, so why do you choose to take PEDs if you know it, it's not for that? Right. So when I was 26, I was already training drug-free for 11 years. So I started at 15. And then when I was 26, my, there was a huge uh, economic crisis. It was 2009, 2010. I lost my job at the consultancy firm. Nice arms. I noticed right away. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's early. I know it's early. You gotta get your stretching. So I was 26 and I lost my job. And I was like, okay, finally, I can live like a full-time bodybuilder. And I want to know what the fuss is all about. So that was after 11 years. Yeah, I just wanted to see, you know, everybody around me was juiced to the gills. I had, uh, there was a couple of pros. I trained in the same gym as William Bonac. Maybe you guys heard of that guy's one of the top five uh, bodybuilders in the world. And you just see these guys mutate in front of you. And you're like, you know what? I just want to see what the fuss is all about. So you go to a steroid.com and some of those websites, right? Where you learn. Uh, or back then we used to learn that and they, they, they lay out all these cycles. So I decided, okay, we'll start with half with 250 milligrams of test and then see where that goes. And, you know, after 11 years of bodybuilding, I, I kind of got stuck. And honestly, I didn't really develop a great physique because I was always focusing on work and right. The, the bodybuilding would be second or third. So was I a, a real full-time bodybuilder and did I reach my natural potential? No, absolutely not. I'm willing to admit that I could have gained another five pounds probably if I did uh, one year of a drug-free bodybuilding like full-time, you know, making all the meals and really dedicate to it. But after 10 years, you know, you get a little bit impatient and um, and then you open the floodgates like so many of us do. And then it's hard to go back. You know, Steve, I, <laughs> so, I want to ask, Oh, were you, were you, were you, were you no, saying something else? No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Go you, ahead. But, you mentioned the idea of natural potential a few times, and I we we've all had this we've had this conversation a few times on the podcast because what I've been seeing on social media recently is all these like again young cats they're making these videos and they're saying stuff like oh yeah well you know you you typically are going to reach your natural potential in three years or two or three years of hard training there's really not much you can do after that and what is your thoughts on that because no matter what like I've been training for like fifteen years now. And I've still over the years been able to make subtle gains and subtle changes in my physique. Like I got a DEXA scan done two years ago. And today I've managed to gain about almost two pounds of lean body mass, which is good. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, this whole idea that three years that you're going to reach your natural potential, what do people, especially young kids, what do they need to be thinking about when it comes to reaching their natural potential? 
well, how long does it take to get an education? It takes a little bit longer than that. And if you want to be a doctor, it takes 10 years. And then you have your internship and, and uh, residency and all that stuff, right? It, it takes a while. And well, and most of us, let's be honest, that when I started performance enhancing drugs, I didn't know as much as I know now. Um, so maybe maybe you get that entry-level bodybuilding first without the pharmacology and then learn as much as you can about training, learn as much as you can about dieting, which I did have a good understanding of, and supplementation, right? And then before you dive into the PEDs, maybe you have to learn about how to use them correctly, right? And now there's more information than back then, but it's, it's such a learning curve, you know? So I, I don't think you can reach that point in three years unless you go with a coach, right? Then you, then you get the guidance, and then you still have to go through the experimentation process. But... How many kids are financially secure enough to do the blood work and hire a coach and do and do all the extra testing? I did the genetic analysis. I, I didn't have the money at 26. I have it now, um, but now I'm part of the fitness industry. Um, yeah, which is weird because I always considered myself a fan. All right, but now I'm suddenly part of the fitness industry. So, right, but it, it, it the fin- the finances alone required just to have a a positive outcome regarding everything, right? The health and the cycle and, and, and kids are not financially secure or most of them are not unless the parents support it. And that happens also in the bodybuilding space where the parents just, they cough up all the bills. Surprisingly. Yeah. And then they later on that, those kids turn pro get sponsors. And, but again, you know, you only hear about the ones that are successful and again, and the kids that, uh, like the kids that were around me, that ended up nowhere in the fitness industry. Nobody hears about them. So you only hear about the success stories. So you, you create a little bit of a, you get a little bit of a false perception of what is possible because I see people fail all the time in the fitness industry. Yeah. So again, you really just, it, right? Get, get the knowledge. I found it interesting um, when you first uh, logged on and this fits pretty well with Nsema's question. You said you got the green light to get back on. Uh, who did you get that yeah. green light from? Okay, so uh, we'll have to rewind a little bit. Um, in October 2020, I went for a uh, full physical. And then I, was, I did an ultrasound of my abdomen, and I was diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, grade one. So that's the lowest form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The, if I have to pinpoint it, it's basically the bodybuilding lifestyle, being on steroids, not, get, not doing the plastic and cruising thing, not taking time off, right? Justifying so you don't have this down period and lose all your gains or part of it. And just eating obscene amounts of food, right? Just to grow and get stronger and having 5,000, 5,500 calories just months, months and months on end, right? And like in cases of people who are obese, they, tra- they don't train all the calories away. But bodybuilders or people who are in strength sports, we actively train all the calories away. So we maintain insulin sensitivity and, and we don't get fat because we're actively turning all these calories slowly into muscle, but it all has to pass through the liver, whether you're obese or a bodybuilder or a strength sport athlete, all this food is passing through the liver and it slowly accumulates over time. And I never caught it because my liver enzymes would fluctuate depending on my training intensity. So when I was diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, I decided to come off cycle, uh, lower my calories, and right, do whatever I needed to do to get that resolved. So that's now eight months ago. I, I, my testosterone came back to around 600 nanograms per deciliter. Now I have the fibro scan, uh, which I just got. Let me see. So 
my non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is completely gone and there's no fibrosis. So that that's a green light, right? I did an MRI of my heart, a cardiac MRI that doesn't show any left ventricular hypertrophy, no heart enlargement. I have 74% uh, ejection fraction, right? I'm, I'm still waiting for uh, some additional results. But so far, from all the ultrasounds and blood work and, and imaging, right? I'm basically in a, in a let's say, 99% perfect state of health, right? Almost perfect state of health. And now I want to pursue, pursue my passion again because I've been training drug-free for the last eight months and it's not the same, <laughs> to be honest. It's not the same. Yeah. Uh, so, you're able to reverse. so the weird thing is like it almost, it almost sounds like addiction, right? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, you were able to uh, reverse some of the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Did you um, have any symptoms uh, that led you to go that route? Or did you just see some blood work and you were like, oh, I should pursue this further? No. So even even with my experience, I did not catch it because my liver enzymes would fluctuate. Like normally you have um, your liver enzymes, your ferritin and uh, triglycerides in the bloodstream, they should be elevated in case of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But I train, so my triglycerides are low. And I follow a pescatarian diet, so my ferritin is low. And I don't have so much inflammation, so my ferritin is also low. Right? So there's so many, in the blood work, there's so many contributing and overlapping factors why particular markers related to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease could be out of range. But only my liver enzymes would be high and then low, right? If I, and it would mostly go up and down depending on training. So if I would take a week off, my liver enzymes would come back right into range. So I'd be like, oh, okay, it's training related. Right? Because these uh, transaminases are also found in skeletal muscle. Um, and when you train for hypertrophy, they leak into the bloodstream, giving you a, a reading on the liver enzymes. So I didn't catch it. And then when I went in for a complete uh, ultrasound for my abdomen, um, they detected non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So that's why I was always about the blood work to get it checked. Right? I got inspired by Stan Everding during one of those 10-minute walks where he said, I've got 100 blood works. I was like, okay, I can never be as strong as Stan Everding, but I can get 100 blood work results. <laughs> so I started doing it more frequently. But even then, I didn't catch it. And it's weird because I've, I've received so much blood work from other people. They, they also didn't catch it. And then they go for an ultrasound or a fibro scan. And then there's grade one, grade two, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So it's, it's so hard to detect certain issues without proper imaging. And that's expensive, unfortunately. Usually like carbohydrates kind of cause that, right? Like, uh, isn't it uh, kind of an insulin resistance type of thing or What's involved with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and what are the side effects of it? So there's, there's many causes and they still don't really know what the exact root cause is. I think it's an overlap of particular thing. It's the pharmacology involved with bodybuilding or the ones that I was ex exposing myself to. High caloric diet, like during the off season, I would eat uh, six, 700 grams of rice on a daily basis and then use insulin to help with nutrient partitioning, right? And, and then sometimes I would follow a ketogenic diet with 150 grams of fat. I did a carnivore diet for a month, which raised my liver enzymes because I was eating too much saturated fat. Right? It was great for digestion, but the amount of saturated fat that I was eating, it was my fault. I was, I was eating 5,000 calories before the carnivore diet, and it's very hard to eat 5,000 calories on a carnivore diet. I think that's a diet that's sustainable up to maybe 3,000, 3,500. And then you have to go to butter 
or the or the cheese route, right? Yeah. So that was also my mistake. And I saw my liver enzymes raise a little bit from that. There's a lot of saturated fat. So I just think there's so many contributing factors. And that's why non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is so common nowadays. It's apparently 40% of the population has it. And, and for us, it's hard to pinpoint because there's no, there's no real symptoms for bodybuilders because you would think insulin resistance because the triglycerides are high, but we actively train. We burn through our glycogen. We burn fat. So we keep the insulin sensitivity going. Yeah. What happens if that like progresses? Like if non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease progressed and you didn't get it, you didn't know about it and it just progressed, what would have happened? What kind of symptoms would you have seen? How far could, have, could it have gotten? No, so it would progress into NASH, which is borderline fibrosis of the liver. And then you would see impaired liver function resulting in jaundice or diarrhea or like real, real side effects. So in my case, I was, I caught it early on, even though it was probably already there for two or three years. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure there's bodybuilders out there who don't do their blood work or don't get any imaging done preventatively. Right. And, and they just let it progress for 10 years. And it could also be another cause or a reason why we see these bloated stomachs nowadays, right? These, these guys that eat so much food and then besides the growth hormone and the insulin, there might be a little bit of growth within the liver. Um, just being a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or, or developed NASH, and that might be irreversible once it turns into a cirrhosis. Yeah, right. These, these are a lot of things we don't even think about, and I didn't think about it, and nobody talks about it. So it's like, okay, though this happened to me, I'm sure it's gonna, it's more common than people realize, so I'm going to talk about it openly and, and take everybody along the journey so they can learn from my mistake and then also learn how I was able to resolve it. Because uh, then, then at least the industry uh, knows a little bit more. That's why I wanted to do the, uh, the cardiac MRI as well. There's not many people talk about this, unfortunately. You know, we, we're very open about the steroids nowadays, but the, the real consequences, the long-lasting consequences over decades, yeah, even the people who have been exposed to steroids for decades, they're not talking about it, unfortunately. Right? Which is a people- shame because that prevents other people from making the same mistake. How can people maybe avoid, um, you know, running into some side effects? Uh, sounds like you, you know, do your blood work and, and uh, you're pretty meticulous about it. But maybe early on, maybe you weren't. And maybe that's what uh, led yeah. to some of the situations that you ended up in. So what are like if somebody was to just, um, you know, literally use like hormone replacement therapy and just kind of mm-hmm. optimize their hormones in your professional opinion, mm-hmm. uh, you studying this stuff all the time. Do you think uh somebody would still run into uh, some some problems, some health issues? I, honestly, I don't think so because testosterone replacement and growth hormone replacement, so that's a true therapeutic dosages, not the dosages that we uh, label under the, <laughs> the hormone replacement, right? We're at, we're at like 1,500 nanograms per deciliter in the total testosterone, and we take three units of growth hormone, we call it HRT, but that's not HRT. I, I call it uh, HRT for bodybuilders. But let's say you do true medically supervised TRT and you needed it medically because your testosterone was low and you wanted to bring it up. Unless you really eat like an an asshole, then I don't, don't think you'll get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But like if you expose yourself to limited or, or just natural amount of, um, natural is the wrong word, endogenous amount of uh, uh, hormones, I don't think you're running a risk. But if you want to push the boundaries a little bit, including the food and, and not cycling off completely, 
or, or, or pushing the boundaries with higher dosages, right? Thousand milligrams, two thousand, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think you run a continuous risk, and it's just the food volume, the sheer food volume that you need to move mountains of weight. That you know, I mean, the, the force feeding and the and the chicken wings before bed and all that stuff is also pretty known in powerlifting, right? Power shoving. They call it. So, I mean, how many guys have have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and also don't know it? I think it. it all, I've I've received so much blood work and ultrasounds and fibro scans over the last couple of months. It's it's almost alarming how many people have this. Yes. Yeah. So, if I can inspire anybody, uh, get some imaging done, and uh, hopefully it's not too expensive, right? Because everybody has a different healthcare system. Like here in Thailand, it's affordable. But I spent today for a cardiac ultrasound, cardiac MRI, fibro scan, and all the medications that are required, $1,600. So would you say that the... Um, Very little. Yeah, the because uh, you said the bodybuilder TRT, um, would you say like that's above mm-hmm. the 1,500 uh, nanograms per deciliter for test, and then like below that might be actual like optimization, or does it just vary from person to person? Like the... the Testosterone is not active in the blood, right? I mean, I think only white blood cells have androgen receptors. And when the testosterone is in the blood, it, it, it basically is not doing anything. You need it on the muscle tissue or on the brain or you know, wherever, wherever there's androgen receptors. So the, the testosterone levels in the blood, it does not represent the risks of how you feel, your health, and all that kind of stuff. So some guys need 600. Like, I have 600 nanograms per deciliter now. I feel good. But I felt better. On 1500, right? So, (laughs) and I'm sure I'll feel also feel better if I push it up to 999 at the top of the reference range, but in range, then I can call myself I'm on TRT, but it's, it's way more than I ever produced naturally. It's way more. And then you get into 1500, 2000, some guys feel good at 3000, right? Because I have so much muscle mass that there needs to be more testosterone present. So I think. If you can manage all of your health parameters and you don't get any negative effects from whatever dose of testosterone you're running, short-term and long-term, uh, then you're on a sustainable dose that you could consider hormone replacement. Um, and, and it's different for everybody because there are guys that don't respond to testosterone. They get adverse reactions. Their blood pressure goes up. They get bald. It's so many, so many things that can go wrong just from exogenous testosterone use. But the only way you know is through experimentation. Yeah. You know, I think you're, uh, you mentioned something earlier and I was, as you were talking, I was like, uh, cause I wanted to see how you look right now, since you said like right now you're not taking much stuff. And then I went to when you were bodybuilding and there's a visible, not, you're still big. Don't get me wrong. You are still big. But when you were on some stuff, like I was like, holy shit, like you were really I had, I had big. some good days. Yeah. You, like, <laughs> don't know. No disrespect. You are still big. You are still very big. Um, but I have a question now, like you're mentioning how like training enhanced is super different and you're enjoying like, yeah, you're training natural. It's, it's like, wh- what is the biggest difference there? And then also I'm, I'm curious about this. When somebody does come off of stuff, let's say they come off of everything, what mm-hmm. type of muscle can they expect to maintain? Because, um, you know, uh, like most people, like Mark has mentioned this before, like most people that do hop on stuff, because of how good it makes you feel, a lot of people end up just being on it for the rest of their lives. Like losing all of that, I feel like can have an effect yeah. on how you feel about the way you look and all of that. So like, 
just can you, can you explain kind of the differences and maybe what people can expect to maintain if they don't stay yeah. on drugs? So I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek. This is what I was able to maintain. This is about half what I used to have, right? That's mentally is that tough, right? I'm lifting 75% of the weights. So it's, it's tough because I was on cycle or I was blasting and cruising for nine years, right? I did three cycles, first cycle BCT, then traveled. Second cycle I BCT, and then I went on my third cycle, which lasted nine years. So you set such a new high standard for yourself regarding training, right? How you look physically, how you feel emotionally, because you do respond differently to particular situations, right? I'm sure we all can agree that traffic is a little bit different when you're on steroids compared to, uh, but you know, sometimes if you're on steroids for 10 years, you don't really notice, you don't feel the difference anymore. So now that I came off cycle, I realized, okay, so this was what it feels to be normal. Right? I do get tired and I, I do get winded in the gym, right? And I can't train for two hours straight without, you know, uh, we just keep going and going and going, right? And so you, I, I feel mortal, if, if anything. Right? And not that I felt godlike on steroids, but I felt I was able to accomplish so much more, right? In the gym, that is, right? Business wise, my business is just continuously growing so that it has nothing to do with business or relationship. Right or, or emotional uh, well-being, but it's if you're an athlete and you and you like to train, it, it's a huge difference. And honestly, I'm surprised I was able to maintain something because I thought I was going to implode after coming off steroids. And then I had that crew, the down period where your testosterone is like you know 100 nanograms per deciliter. Then you do your post-cycle therapy, it goes up a little bit, and then it slowly creeps up. And now I've been training at well the the same weights. Same intensity. And the only way I could increase that is by increasing the food. And then in the back of my head, I was like, okay, Steve, if you increase the food, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease might return. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of maxed out right now. So that's why I'm uh, excited to go back on hormone replacement, even though I don't medically need it because my testosterone came back to 600 nanograms per deciliter. So that's for me. But some guys, they don't recover their test. They, they, need, they, they need to stay on hormone replacement because it just doesn't bounce back. Their fertility doesn't come back, you know? So, and even if you come back to 500 nanograms per deciliter, maybe it doesn't feel sufficient. I know guys also that came back way higher than me, but it doesn't feel sufficient because you're so used to this super physiological dose of androgens. So I think everybody just, like, you guys have gone through PCT? Mark, Not you, you've me. gone through PCT or... No, no, not you, right? You, you still need to. Uh, you mean like just like coming off and recovering and stuff like that? Right. Did you did you ever go through that process? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. There's always in the back of your head. I could get so much more out of my aspirations regarding fitness if I just take a little bit, and it's almost like an addiction, honestly. Right? Because I've been I've been thinking about hopping back on for the last eight months. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause so like, uh, it's, you're mentioning that your, your hormones are coming back, um, and that you've been off eight months. Um, I think you could probably make some really good progress the next three, four months without going back on. If you think about it from a logical standpoint, I think because so. now your, your levels have just come back. And, uh, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, for, for me personally, it's so hard for me to even 
tell or comprehend because I've been on for so long. It's hard to tell uh, what I've kept. And I also was just like, I was, you know, in my early twenties, I was a fucking machine before I ever touched anything. You know, I was fast. I was strong. I was Mm -hmm. uh, able to do all kinds of stuff. So I, it's so hard for me to tell if I come off everything. I personally kind of think that I nearly lose everything, but I don't really, I wouldn't look like I lost everything because, you know, at a natural body weight, my natural body weight's 210, 215, maybe even 220 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm 230 now um, while being on stuff. So that the difference in the body weight isn't that huge, uh, but the difference in the body composition, right. uh, you know, would change, but I, I could probably work my way into um, looking similar. I would just be smaller and I just maybe wouldn't be as strong, but I think I could gain some of that back. Um, my powerlifting stuff is mm-hmm. hard to equate anything to because the overall size of my body was so different. You know, I was 330 pounds uh, at the height of my powerlifting career. So, it's kind of hard to judge, but from what I've seen, and I would like to get your opinion on this. Um, do you see people holding on to their gains? I know there's a lot of people who are like, I'm just going to do like a cycle this summer. And uh, I just want to, you know, get a little more jacked and can you hold on to it or, or do you lose almost all of it? What are your thoughts? I've seen one person in my life that holds on to their gains. Genetic elite lives here in Thailand, Thai guy. He does like a cycle for the world championships for weeks. I can't mention his name because the world championships is a drug tested federation. Um, so can't go into detail. Yeah, unfortunately. So he prepares for like four or five weeks leading into the show, then comes off, doesn't do PCT and maintains everything. Stays shredded, shredded glutes without anything. Genetic elite. Everybody else, including myself, a shadow of your former self. I don't know any, unless, unless you did one cycle, you, you gained like two pounds and then you come back. Okay. You can maintain the two pounds that you built. Right. But if you went on for a decade or longer and I, my, my heaviest was 88 kilos. So that's about 200 pounds drug free. And those chunky, right. And now I'm 205 pounds, 210. So I'm a little bit heavier, a little bit leaner. I'm stronger now than I used to be drug free. Like quite a bit, quite a bit. It's been 10 years, so I can't really remember how much I was lifting, but I do know that the most of the main lifts, I am stronger than peak drug-free. So that, and that's later. And that, and that strength was built on cycle, but I'm significantly uh, weaker compared to being on. And I honestly think if I, if I just do a little bit of hormone replacement for myself, I would get back a decent amount of what I uh, built. Then you could just go, um, that's the idea, that's maintenance, right? I want to restore what I had a previously on cycle, uh, but at a, at a fraction of the dose. So I don't have to expose myself to um, unnecessarily high levels of androgen. So it will basically, uh, again, hormone replacement for bodybuilders. What would you say to some of the people that might be listening that uh, are utilizing, you know, a little bit at the moment and they're thinking about doing more and more? Uh, would you kind of advise against it or do you think yeah. people just need to kind of go for it here and there? honestly i think you need to go for it sometimes but you also need to modulate your health yeah because sometimes like you're you have aspirations and and you have your long-term health and and sometimes there's a little bit of sacrifice involved really because i I honestly think like 
unless you do real hormone replacement. I, I want to interrupt you for over that. I want to interrupt you for a second because I think that yeah. that's a really, really good point. And people do this all the time. People might think what you just said is crazy because we're talking about using steroids or using drugs, but people do this all the time. You mentioned earlier, somebody studying to be a doctor, people sacrifice their health all the time. Mm. They're like, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm going for my PhD. I'm not going to sleep. I'm just going to study, study, study. I'm going to get to my goal. And even when they do get to their goal and even when they do become a doctor, their foot is still on the gas pedal. And they're like, when I'm 35 or 40, I'll figure it out. I'll fucking relax a little bit more. I'll, you know, take some days off of work, but (laughs) right. This is the way, this is the way, all of us maybe not all of us this way many of us think think uh so it's very it's a lot more common than maybe so like there's always i think there's always some sort of sacrifice involved when you want to be successful like right now my business is booming i'm I'm working every day until 10 o'clock that's sacrificing my relationship right and then when you want to accomplish something else with business maybe there's a lot of studying involved and maybe you need to take an adderall or a modafinil or or right ruin friendships because you can't go out and then when you have want to have fun you go out to the club there might be some recreational drugs involved which sacrifice your health you have a great time but the next day you feel horrible right and and even with alcohol which is generally accepted go inject your liver enzymes the next day you're sacrificing your health when you go to the to the bar so i think unfortunately like everything that's exciting in life it will take some sort of toll out of you Including the you know the, the dangerous sports and driving motorcycles and driving fast cars, at risk to reward. And I think sometimes it's just required to get ahead um, because right that's what competitions are for. Um, competitions you want to see the strongest, the fastest, the biggest, bigger, harder, uh, stronger, and faster. And yeah, there's there's some pharmacology involved sometimes, you know. And I, I don't think that's inherently wrong um, un- unless you uh, end up dying over it, right? And then then it's then it's a little bit too much, so and you have to do a little bit of a blood work analysis and and imaging and along the way. But I think nowadays it's more understood and accepted than it it was ten years ago, twenty years ago, when we always see what were the magazines this perfect physique, what we would think is in a perfect state of health, and now it's a little bit more open, and we actually do see people passing. Um, so that uh, hopefully that makes everybody a little bit more cautious because happens way too much you know sometimes you scroll through instagram you see another black and white picture and you're like here we go again Mm -hmm. um what about uh blasting cruising versus staying on a uh i guess i'll say optimized that's that seems to be a good uh common uh i guess name but yeah um because you said you blasted and cruised for i think uh, i mean 10 years or so um yeah nine years Yeah. yeah so would you would you say that that's kind of one of those things like if your health markers are in line, go for it or is maybe, yeah, cruise or not cruising, but just being at a lower dose for longer might be the better approach. So I feel that like a real hormone replacement, a lower dose, there's, it's like a dose dependent response, similar to endogenous testosterone production, where let's say you're producing a certain amount of testosterone, you're at the middle of the reference range, and you're gaining, when you reach your true natural potential, a pound to two pounds per year. And then let's say you go on hormone replacement, you raise your serum concentrations a little bit, you keep that exactly stable, you don't make any adjustments, and then at one point you'll still gain one pound or two pounds per year. So it will be easier to maintain. So what I did, blasting and cruising, okay, 
you you blast, you go on a, a higher dose. Hopefully you do that in the context of being a full-time athlete. I don't see there's a reason for anybody to blast if you don't have everything in place to, to actually put those steroids to work, right? So let's say you're living like a true athlete and you're putting those steroids to work and you have everything in your life designed to make the most out of it. Then when you go back to a cruise, a lower dose is required to sustain most of your accomplishment. But you will not probably not reach these accomplishments without raising the dose. So I don't think that, let's say if I were to go on hormone replacement my entire life, right? At the age of 26 till now, I don't think I would have looked like that, like in the pictures or lifted, you know, heavy weights, right? So and would I have a job in the fitness industry? Probably not, because I would never feel inclined to learn more beyond hormone replacement. So, yeah, I, I think, I've, I know I'm a health guy, but I think it's sometimes just required. You know, I coach people for bodybuilding shows, and their dosages are not moderate. You know, so, are they winning? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there's something uh, I was curious about, because you mentioned, you kind of alluded to it a little bit about fertility. And I know all of my questions seem to be doing, seem to be trying to scare people out of it. And to be perfectly honest, especially for the young cats, I am trying to scare them out of it. Um, uh, but one thing I will say is that I'm really happy that like you yourself, Mark, um, a lot of what you guys talk about is getting constant imaging, getting constant blood tests, because as much as this stuff is mm. expensive, like, uh, for example, your, your, your fatty liver stuff, if you weren't paying that money to get those tests done, which most people yeah. don't do, you wouldn't have caught that. So uh, I'm happy that people are understanding what it takes to do this stuff safely. But now I want to scare them again. So as far as the fertility is concerned, and you mentioned, it, it's funny, I had a client when I was when I was 22 training people in person. I had this guy come to me to train him, right? And he's like, yeah, I want to get leaner. I was like, okay, cool. Let, let's start. And three months later, I'm like, why? First off, I'm trying to caliper his skin and I couldn't separate his skin from his muscle. So I didn't know what was going on there. And then number two, he didn't drop any weight. His body didn't change at all. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this dude? And then he finally told me, he's like, yeah, when I was younger, I did some stuff. I was running some stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, well, well, go to the doc, get yourself checked. Let's just, just, I don't, I can't work with you. Like, by the way, I wasn't giving him drugs or anything. I was just training him normally. I didn't know why we couldn't get results, but he went to the doctor. He came back to me and he was like, uh, well, doc says I can't really have kids anymore. Um, and because of some shit that he did, maybe he didn't do a PCT that shit or whatever, but like he, he was like 25 at the time and he was told that he couldn't have kids. So as far as fertility is concerned, number one, what could happen that could lead a man not to have kids? What could happen that could lead to that? And number two, what do people have to do to avoid that from happening? Um, well, ideally, you want to do a testicular ultrasound before you get started, just to see if your testicles are functioning as they should be before you even touch steroids. Right? I didn't do that. Because again, the information was not talked about. So I did that recently. Uh, interesting experience, <laughs> needless to say, um, just to see if there was any fibrosis, right? Because I did turn off my testicles for a decade, even though I'd run some ACG or HMG intermittently to sustain testicular function. I was not using that the entire way through. Um, so I was a little bit nervous because I, I married and at one point I would like to have kids. 
So after I, I did my pulse psychotherapy, I did some imaging on the testicles and that all appeared normal. And, and yeah, I, I know you want to scare some people, but my fertility came back also. Um, yeah, but I do see, I do see that a lot of, like some, it depends on what you run also in your individual response. So let's say you're on um, a lot of training, right? A lot, a long time. Let's say you're actively competing and you're just running training year round. Sounds horrendous, but people are doing this, right? People are doing this. And you're, and it's, there's so many androgens, like potent androgens in your system that also activate a progesterone receptor that you just get very impaired fertility. You're not using ACG or any other preventative measure to sustain t- uh, testicular function. And yeah, maybe you shut it down permanently. And I, I do know guys that can't have kids. I mean, there's a lot of pro bodybuilders who are 40, 50 and don't have any kids. And, and that's that's a big sacrifice, in my opinion. Just they, and some guys don't even get to the Olympia. You know, they compete for years and years and years and they don't win a pro show. But now they can't have kids. Right? And the problem is pros are also not open about the doses. They all downplay it, which I completely understand because they have sponsorships that they have to worry about, which pay a decent amount of money. So it, it doesn't pay off to be honest and open. And of course, general population would cringe. But if you run very high dosages for long periods of time, and, and you don't incorporate an ACG or an HMG or, or other methods to sustain testicular function. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a risk. It's absolutely a risk that you will shut yourself down uh, regarding kids permanently. Yeah. But then you hear stories of guys having kids on cycle also. Right? So it's, it's, I think individual response really determines on what you can get away with. And, and if you get like the, the short end of the stick, because that happens also. Right? Maybe I was predis- uh, genetically predispositioned to develop non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and it doesn't matter what I've done in my life, I would have gotten it anyway. And and obviously, I don't suffer from hair loss, um, but there's other guys that are on steroids, and they get bald <laughs> their first cycle. So I think regarding the fertility, you know, if you have something in place like an ACG or HMG, um, or, or maybe Kispeptin 10 or Granadorelin, even though it doesn't really doesn't really show that it's too effective to sustain fertility. If you keep something in place, at least you run less of a risk uh, for permanent infertility than without it. But in my case, I did it intermittently and I was able to get 150 million sperm per milliliter uh, with good morphology and good motility. Uh, Yeah, that's awesome, right? But I I also see blood work where it it just doesn't return and there's zero sperm, zero. And I can't even do an analysis because there's nothing to analyze. And I'm like, you know, and then they go off for a year and they run a very expensive, expensive fertility protocol. doesn't come back. Mm. Yeah. Scary. Scary. Um, I've seen um, some uh, but, yeah, videos. Many where... guys did get kids on cycle and go ahead, guys. <laughs> I've seen some videos that you've uh, shot and uh, found them to be really fascinating because they're so specific, you know, answering questions about, uh, you know, different cycles about, you know, for people to get big or different cycles for people to uh, get leaner and things like that. And um, it seems like right now there's a lot of uh, different pharmaceuticals to assist people with getting leaner um, all the way into, um, things that could change the game for obesity in terms of uh, um, these 
there's some drugs out there now that really help a lot with uh, appetite suppressant. And I wanted to kind of get your take on some of the different uh, drugs that are out there and whether you think those are, I mean, everything's got a drawback to it, I guess, but uh, how do you think the effectiveness of some of these drugs are? And um, do you feel they're fairly safe? Well, unfortunately, no drug is safe. So let's get that out of the way first. So we're talking about the glucagon-like peptide one receptor agonists. There's a th- five different kinds, but the three most common ones are liraglutide, dulaglutide, and semaglutide. So liraglutide has a relatively short half-life, would be daily administrations. Dulaglutide acts for five days and semaglutide for about a week. So that would be a once-a-week administration. Um, the good thing about lira and semaglutide is that they come in pens where you can dose according to how many milligrams you want. But the dulaglutide comes in a single administration. It's, it's literally like uh, those war movies where they have the, uh, the morphine injections. It's like a huge clicks and, it, and it, it shoots the full dose. That's what dulaglutide also does. It does the full 1.5 milligrams and it clicks. You don't even have to do anything. Just jab it and it will start injecting. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, they made it for convenience. So the way these peptides work is they mimic a natural pathway that stimulates or simulates eating through the glucagon-like peptide uh, 1 receptors, right? So when you eat, there's a horm- hormone is uh, released, and then it, it, it releases some other hormones, and it, it gives you satiation. So this these drugs, they promote satiation in a similar effect that you would get from eating food, but you didn't eat food. So you constantly feel that you ate. And when you do eat, you don't feel like eating because you already feel full. So you eat less. And when you eat too much, you get freaking nauseous. <laughs> so it's another way to um, kind of stimulate appetite. So there is evidence that it can cause thyroid issues and pancreatic issues. Both, both of those cases were either in animal studies or in uh, people with type 2 diabetes, in which cases they're usually prescribed because those people eat too much. In most cases of type 2 diabetes, they give themselves this disease because it's usually a lifestyle, right? Too much saturated fat, too many calories, too too many processed sugars, uh, not enough activity. So in those cases, uh, liraglutide, semaglutide, or dulaglutide are prescribed, and that helps to control their appetite in an attempt to resolve the type 2 diabetes in combination with physical activity. So for us as bodybuilders who people want to lose weight, you can use this medication at very low dosages, um, far lower than what are prescribed for uh, people with type 2 diabetes to control your appetite. Now, from all the research that I've done, I would prefer to take a GLP-1 receptor agonist over an Adderall for appetite suppression or Climbutrol or uh, some of these SARMs, right? So instead of stimulating your, your brain to bits, you know, and, and lowering your appetite that way. You have the fentramine, the modafinil, the subitramine, right? There's a lot of these stimulatory uh, appetite suppressants. I would prefer to run a very low dose of GLP-1, the liraglutide or semaglutide, and just not feel hungry. And, and then control my caloric uh, intake that way. And it, it, it's so effective that you just forget to eat. Right. Will there be any long-lasting effects? I'm not sure. I did check my lipase and amylase and blood work markers, which are related to the pancreas, and they didn't change during the duration that I was running these uh, compounds. So when I was trying to resolve the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, I used liraglutide for six weeks every day. 
just to keep my appetite down so I could be in a sufficient caloric restrictive state to get a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease out of the way. But I feel it's highly beneficial, but the problem is they're so expensive. <laughs> they're really expensive compounds. Like semaglutide is $1,000 per pen if you go through the medical... Uh, yeah, yeah, the growth hormone's cheaper. So it's, I don't think it's available for everybody yet, maybe in the future. But I, I'm always looking for something that alternative that maybe might have potentially have a better effect right, than what we're generally running. And I, I discussed with uh, Leo on longevity. I'm sure you guys are familiar. And Derek from More Plays, More Dates. We discuss on a daily basis more beneficial with less negative side effects compounds that could, uh, you know, have, have, have efficacy in the future. Is my internet still okay? So I got a little bit of a... Did I drop yeah, out? Good. Did I drop out? No, no, you're good. Yeah, just, we're good. Okay. It just skipped yeah. around a tiny bit. No, it's fine. Sorry. Okay. No, no worries. All right. So we we always try to look for something that might be a little bit more practical and safer uh, than than what we have previously, so we can evolve and and maybe have less side effects along the way. Um, but most of the compounds are already known um, that we generally use. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned. Um, you know, clenbuterol and, you know, some of these, uh, SARMs and stuff. Um, in, in my experience, um, I did have, I did see some success on SARMs, but I feel like with the uh, effect that it did have on my blood work, it was, it was neg questionable if it was worth it or not. And I was curious to uh, hear what your thoughts yeah. on SARMs themselves, whether or not, cause you know, like Nsema has been pointing out, like people are getting on much younger, and it's a lot easier yeah. to just take a pill than to take a pin. So um, I Absolutely. think this is another opportunity to educate people and let them know like, hey. Andrew, maybe maybe share with them uh, what was wrong with your blood work. And oh. also, did your blood work change? Did you get it checked again after that? Yeah. And so and <laughs> so as I try to like d deter people away from it, this is going to bring them all back. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> with, with my testosterone, it, it was low before. It was really low after, and then it came back. So that, that, that's one of the things. Um, all, my, all my other health markers, cholesterol, lipids, um, I, I'm not too knowledgeable with the uh, terminology of everything, but it's safe to say that everything was really healthy. Uh, Stan Efferding, he had mentioned that these are like some of the healthiest labs that he had ever seen. And he told me not to get on SARMs because it's going to do this. And then I got on SARMs and it did exactly what he said. So my, my test went from like a, a mid 400 nanograms per deciliter down to 150. Um, my, uh, uh, I forgot which, which is the good cholesterol. Uh, that one went down the bad cholesterol. HDL. Went, yeah. So my HDLs went, went way yeah. down. My LDLs went way up. So my triglycerides were all over the place. Um, my oh really? Oh okay. yeah. My my hematocrit was already high, and I think that's due to like a little bit of sleep apnea. But ah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but after um after I and all I did was um osterine, but I did it for fourteen weeks. But I never went over thirty mm -hmm. milligrams per day, so I kept it at about twenty for a majority of that time. Um, I did MK six seven seven as well, but my hematocrit was like. It was really bad. Um, I had somebody look at my labs and they're like, your labs are very similar to this person that's currently on trend. 
And when I heard that, I was like, holy sh like, wow, that was not worth it. <laughs> um, right. But again, did uh, you get the results of trend? Did you I at wish. least get the strength and the, not even close. At least no. I wouldn't assume, but that, that could be just due to the fact of uh, not being an experienced lifter. Although at this point I had been lifting for about seven years. So it wasn't like I was brand new. However, I was brand new to training correctly. Um, before all this, I was training on my own. And then, you know, once I you know started working with Mark, that's when I started progressing the absolute most. Um, so, you know, I did have a lot of time doing, you know, uh, a lot of time in the gym doing my own thing. And at this point, I think I was 33 or maybe even 34. So, you know, like I said, my test was low. It was really low. And then I got on um, testosterone um, pellets. So the uh, implanted the, uh, you know, on, on my hip. So then it jumped mm -hmm. up to like 1200 and I felt great. Uh, and then uh, I came off of that, had my baby. And so now it's just like all my, my labs right now look great. And so it, it's, it's tough to say like, don't do it because, you know, X, Y, and Z. But then, you know, again, like I said, my labs came back to looking very, very good. Um, you know, we're, we're actually working with in, in most cases. Uh, we're oh, working, with Mark, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're working with Merrick right now. And, you know, uh, the doctor told me, he was like, either you have a really good diet or you have great genetics. And my dad has really bad cholesterol and like he, you know, it's probably due to his poor diet, but he actually, the doctors told him that he naturally develops a lot of cholesterol and he had triple heart bypass surgery. And if you look at him, he looks like a healthy, you know, 60 year old man. But now that's one of those things that I have to now write in my medical history or my family medical history is like cholesterol. And so, uh, again, with all that in mind, my labs looked terrible right after I got off, but now I'm kind of like looking pretty good. So it, it is a tough thing to say, you know, don't do it because, you know, <laughs> it's going to mess you up, but it, eventually you'll be okay. So, I, right. So what I think with these compounds, whether that's the Austrian or the steroids, yes, they will mess up your labs, especially if you take uh, them for longer periods of time. But it, it, the body is quite resilient. So if you don't really miss, like you re really didn't destroy your health, the body will come back. My, most of my blood work is great now, right? Even after taking stairs for 10 years. But so I, I do think that the body at one point will bounce back, right? Regarding health. Um, it, it just might take a little bit of time. So when you discontinue particular compounds, slowly the health will improve. But maybe while you're running into your health is not optimal. Or it's horrible because you're running a high dose right, or very potent stuff. But when it comes to the SARMs, like from my experience, let's say you have 10 milligrams of a compound to use. I feel that for the same amount of results, let's say you compare Anavar to uh, Austrian. From all the blood work that I've seen, 10 milligrams of Austrian will ruin your blood work more compared to 10 milligrams of Anavar. But 10 milligrams of Anavar will give you much better results. So why would you not just go with Anivar over the Austrian, even though Anivar is more difficult to source, there's less gray area websites, um, but is there quality control in the SARM scene? Not really. So it, it, that way you run pretty much the same risk. So, and, and Anivar is at least medically prescribed, right? There's compounding pharmacies that in, in the States that produce uh, Anivar in, in pretty high dose tablets, um, I will say. But right, there's, there's so many 
there's so many compounds we can choose from. So why why not choose the compound that is used medically, that's FDA approved, um, that we can get pharmaceutical grade if we if we do our best and spend a little bit more. And then there's also a lot of research, right? We can go to PubMed or Science Direct, type in Oxandrolone, Anavar, and get a million studies back. If you do that for Austrian, there will be no studies. There will be clinical trials because it's not FDA approved yet. So I think until these SARMs are FDA approved, I would just wait. Personally, I would just wait because I don't think they'll they'll be able to replace the steroids because otherwise every pro bodybuilder would have adopted it. And most guys would say the same thing. At it, you know, it, it works, but not to the point that I needed to compete. Otherwise, it would have been adopted already. Like there's compounds that are classified as SARMs, like GW1516 or MK677, which aren't really SARMs because they don't have an effect on the androgen receptor. Um, they go through different receptors that they, they secrete growth hormone, right? But they're classified in the same group. But those, the SARMs, which are not actually SARMs, they might have some benefit. But the, the androgen receptor modulators, which are not as selective as we want them to be, because otherwise your testosterone would not be so low. Or running on like what what would be perfect right you know selective estrogen receptor modulators that act like an estrogen here but block the estrogen there right mm-hmm. if SARMs would do that if they block the androgen receptor in the pituitary and act as an androgen uh, or act on the androgen receptor in skeletal muscle it would be perfect mm-hmm. your testosterone production would stay the same right and you would gain more muscle because there's no negative effect on your natural testosterone production but every SARM, the Austrian, the LGD, the YK11, they all downregulate uh, testosterone production, and then the lipids skew, and 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 you get some gains in the beginning, and then your gains taper. Like I got weaker when I wow uh, used Austrian. I was squatting comfortably, and then I I lost reps every week. I started losing reps. I'm like, okay, never mind. Yeah, right? but that's my personal experience. But some people get great results from it. But mm-hmm. I, I would not risk the the changes in blood work. Yeah, I got uh, over pretty- other compounds. Yeah, I got pretty good results. Um, the whole experience was fun, uh, honestly, because it was the first time taking anything. And yeah, I, I got bigger, but it, it could have been just due to the uh, the motivation of being on something. Um, yeah. You know, my diet was already kind of in check, but then it was like, no, we're trying to gain. So I just kept eating a little bit more as much as I could. And then the MK definitely helped. Um, but you did mention uh, cargarine, and uh, that's that's one that, I mean, I, I have, I have it <laughs> and I'm just, I stare at it every once in a while and I want to dive in, but you know, that one rat study with the cancer, yeah. you know, it always, I'm just like, you know, uh, like, no, like we'll just go into a deficit. We'll be fine. Like we don't need yeah, it's, it's, extra boost. It's not like you need it, right? It's yeah, not exactly. like you need That's it. That's what it is. And, and again, there's so many other methods to burn body fat a little bit faster over the cardarine. Um, I will say that I used cardarine to cure my non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I, it, it rapidly sped up the process because it, you take it orally, it goes into the liver and then potentiates some, um, right. Some fat loss through the, the PPR, uh, gamma and Delta pathways. So yeah, it, it, but it's not something you want to run long term. Definitely not. No. So but definitely like, all these for, like, for like show prep is what you mean then. Uh, that that will be the guy. Like they're easy to acquire, um, but the, the problem with that is, let's say it does cause cancer, right? Let me maybe ten years from now, the GW one five one six is proven to cause cancer in humans. Um, a lot of people would resort to that over the clenbuterol nowadays because it's easier to source, 
and gives far less side effects uh, immediately. Like not, none of these crazy heart palpitations, no cramps, no insane sweating, right? Um, so maybe, maybe ten, the sample size of people who are using it now, like up until this point, we haven't heard anybody develop cancer from cardarine. Ten years from now, we don't know if that still holds up. But so far, so far, so good. <laughs> right? But yeah, but anecdotal evidence will tell, right? Uh, like some of some of the old uh, diuretics that bodybuilders use, they also were shown to be highly problematic. So. Right? Time will tell if, if particular compounds will hold up. So I would prefer everybody to be cautious. But then again, yeah, sometimes in the scene of a contest prep, uh, it, it might be beneficial. That's yeah. something really cool to think about. I'm actually curious about this. What stuff did um, old bodybuilders use commonly that we found nowadays? Oh, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to use or like well, just what kind of stuff were there? Cause that, that, yeah. that, yeah. What were they? What was the, what is was the diuretic? It's, um, there was a diuretic that, that acts on the cortisol receptors. Also, I can't remember what the name is because I don't have any experience with it. There was a diuretic out there or an anti uh, estrogen that acted as a diuretic that then she was shown to be a kidney uh, problematic. And then uh, people didn't know about ibuprofen. They would run that quite long and got some kidney issues as well. Right. And, and some Damn. of the older drugs that were used, like the Anabol, for example, like that nowadays is not really favored anymore in the, in the context of bodybuilding. So as, as things change and then new compounds come out like dehydroboldenone and uh, mint, trestolone, and then guys prefer that over added. This is better now. We don't run boldenone anymore. We do dehydroboldenone. So the compounds always change, but I think most of the compounds that were used long time ago they still hold up but maybe they're used in a different context right and i think the dnp nowadays I, there was a little bit of a, a stint with that but yeah i don't i think that stint is over with dnp i don't think anybody's running they do a dnp experiment and they realize how toxic it is and then they're like okay never mind um so, do you think that we're going to come back to uh people doing cycles again or do you think that there's maybe like, cause it doesn't seem like people do cycles anymore, but it, it does seem like it makes sense to where, you know, I know guys used to do like 10 or 12 weeks and then they'd come off for a few months and they go back on and so weeks. forth. What are your thoughts on that? I think everybody has to decide for themselves because like I did a cycle for 16 weeks, then I PCT and traveled for a year right through Asia. And, and then when I came back from traveling, I was skinny fat. Um, and so I, I went back to the gym. Yeah, well, street food for a year and then no workout. <laughs> so I did not look the part anymore. I lost all my gains, uh, just like now. <laughs> so I started going back to the gym. I, I, I went back on cycle and that lasted a little bit longer. So I think as people get some experience with this post-cycle therapy and then realize they lose their, uh, some of their gains or it's the training is no longer enjoyable or they, they have a body image issues where they look in the mirror like, hmm, I really don't look good anymore, right? That's also something you have to learn because it's a giant roller coaster if you do cycles on and off. And then at one point, you might take the plunge and say, you know what, I'm going to go do the, this plastic and cruising thing that everybody else is doing. I think that's a natural progression. Uh, but some guys, they go on cycle and they stay on cycle for 10 years or, or maybe their entire life. Like I always considered it to be a lifetime commitment. But I also wanted to see what a post psychotherapy was like. 
But if people want to do cycles like 12 weeks on PCT, then three months off and then cycle again, yeah, of course, they're in their right. Yeah, but how long that will last, that that approach, I'm not really sure if that lasts their entire life. I think everybody will slowly lean towards blasting and cruising because it's it's less of a roller coaster. It's hard to know if Arnold and Mike Menser and those guys, it's hard to know if they were actually cycling or not anyway. Like, you know, uh, (laughs) nowadays, you know, in bodybuilding, it's very common for people to say, I'm not on anything. And then you find out they're on at least like one or two things. They just say that they're not on anything. It's not a full, a full on cycle. Maybe back then, maybe similar. I, I, I think like Arnold, you see those pictures after the Mr. Olympia and he, he shrunk down significantly. I, d- I do think they came off um, and then, and then just right. They probably didn't even do a proper PCT because that information was not out there. You think so it would just come off it? and then let their hormone levels decline. If you stay off long enough, right? I, I don't see it. I don't see it sensible. Let's say you do a 12 month, a 12 weeks, not 12 months. 12-week cycle, you do your post-cycle therapy, which if you do it properly, you let your androgens decline it. That might take four, six weeks anyway, right? Before you even start the post-cycle therapy. And then you do your, uh, your ACG or your enclomiphene uh, uh, and, and tamoxifen for four, six weeks. So that's already three months. And then you need to stay off three months just to give your testicles some time to make some sperm again and produce some testosterone again. But a lot of guys, they do a cycle, post-cycle therapy cycle two days apart. So they're, they're off for like a day. <laughs> so does that really count as, as uh, going off? I don't think so. Because if the, the, the tamoxifen and the enclomiphene or clomid, they still alter your uh, testosterone production. So you, you didn't give yourself adequate time. And for me, it, I was man, months, six months now without anything. When I say without anything, I was still using growth hormones. So right? that's, that's where the your bodybuilder comes to I'm off. It's actually <laughs> off plus something else. <laughs> every uh, every time we have somebody like like you or or Tony Huge or just just somebody who knows a lot about like pharmacology, it always I always like internally laugh at how how complex this stuff is, and and because when I see some people talk about it online, I'm just like. You, you don't seem to know what you're doing. Like, like, uh, it's just, it's just yeah. like you, 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 you explain all these things and like these, these things are some of the reasons why I'm just like, I'm good. Like, I'm so good off of this because it's, it's, it's a lot to do. Mm. And one big thing I think that not a lot of people think about is you've been spitting out like some prices here and there, some dollar amounts of what some of this shit costs. I'm just like, this sounds like it could be pretty pricey. So I'm, I'm I'm curious about this, man. Like, what do you think? And I know everybody takes different things and different things have different prices, but you know, let's just say a guy wants to get pretty big. Maybe he doesn't want to be Mr. Fucking Olympia, but let's just say he wants to look pretty, pretty jacked and get pretty big. What is like maybe the minimum cost of the minimum things that an individual is going to need to do along with the cost of the lab work that he's going to do. Just, just, can you give people an idea of just the monetary investment? If you want to do this safely, not just if you want to get your drugs and take them, but the tests and all of this, what are people, what should people be thinking about? I need to have this much money put away. I, uh, I made a video about this called the sinkhole, uh, the bodybuilding sinkhole of money. Ooh. It's the Sarlacc pit from star Wars 
where it just rains money on top. And I think I came to a calculation of like $15,000 a year or per month, depending on how much you're running. Now, some guys spend $75,000 on their drug bill and their bodybuilding and their physical therapy and their blood work, right? I calculated everything, the food, the gym membership, the drug bill, the physical therapy, right? Because we need some deep tissue massage. And then the ultrasounds, the imaging, right? Just to put some money aside just in case, right? Calculated that over the entire year. And I think at the top level, $75,000. I spend about, I think, $20,000, $25,000 a year just for the bodybuilding. That's including the food. And uh, no, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but the potential in the fitness industry is also quite high. So, well, it's, it's an investment, right? Like I, every time I do blood work, and make a video about it, and I'm, I'm open about it. So you always get backlash, unfortunately, right? Why would you expose yourself to all this stuff? Well, because it's my hobby. And every time I invest a little bit of money into this blood work for my own well-being to put the hypochondriac at bay, and I make a video about it, it results in business. And I have 32,000 subscribers now, so whoever wants to watch that video, they benefit from the information that I share. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's say you don't make money off the fitness industry. Yeah. Then $25,000 a year is a huge sinkhole of money. Some people yeah. earn that much right after taxes. So it, it really depends on what you want. And if you're making money off the fitness industry, because there are people who are making $200,000 a month off the fitness industry, right? Or more. Mm. So yeah, right. So for them, it's a marginal increase, but the guy that is a recreational lifter, and just goes to the gym to have fun and when maybe wants to have, be a little bit jacked. Okay, let's say the testosterone costs and the, and the blood work a little bit. I think if you put $500, $1,000 per month aside, you can develop a very, very good physique. And that's including the food, the gym membership, and the, uh, the blood work and, and all that stuff. And the steroids and the health supplementation that are required. But it, it will cost you money. Even hormone replacement will set you back $100, $150 a month. And then if you do that under guidance, it will be more expensive, right? If you want to get a script from a, a pharmacy and get some medical supervision, you will spend more. It's, it's not cheap, you know, it's not cheap. So you should at least be financially secure before you get your hands dirty uh, because the bills will be way more than you think it will be, especially when you get older and then suddenly, oh, I have to think about my fertility and my organs, uh, even though I didn't think about those things uh, when I started. Yeah, I didn't think about it. Um, you know, it's a learning, a learning journey for all of us. You mentioned uh, DNP earlier. That's uh, the drug that like burns fat like crazy. And it's been shown to be very toxic and, and dangerous and things like that. And bodybuilders are going to kind of creep into all kinds of stuff, no matter how dangerous it is. But what are things that are maybe uh, less dangerous uh, that you've seen be effective for fat loss? Because I know there's, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show that want to lose fat and uh you know try to make progress in that way so what are some of your thoughts on that so the the cheapest and the the least toxic method to drop body fat is fasting you just stop eating just stop it's okay you'll be yeah right you'll be hungry you'll be hungry it sucks and it's it's uncomfortable but when you look at the fat loss of, on a week on DNP compared to a fat loss on a week on fasting, you'll probably lose the same amount of body fat. But on fasting, you're only hungry. And on DNP, you're melting from the inside and your blood work will be horrible. And after the fasting, it will be better. <laughs> so 
and it's so much cheaper also because you don't have to modify your entire diet. And I talk, I, uh, Tony is in Patia, right? So he's only two hours away from me. And I always have the discussion because Tony at one point was uh, selling DNP and he, he still uses it sometimes. I'm like, how can you use this in Thailand? It's scorching hot. So I got him into fasting three years ago and now he does that too sometimes. And I think he gets the same results, but he, he would prefer to take the DMP because it's easier. Um, and of course, there's something to say for that also. But I've been, I fast every three months for a week. And like a water times fast? A year, I fast for like five and a half days. Yeah, just water fast. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I do. I do I, like I care about health. It, it, it helped my digestion so much. You know, I, I did a carnivore diet experiment. It helped my digestion. I do fasting. It helped my digestion. Um, right, colonics helps the digestion also a little bit when when applied properly. So, like I, I, I try to optimize the body a little bit more besides the the lifting, and and fasting is part of that because living in Asia and eating street food for a while, yeah, that ruined my digestion. Yeah, when I listen when I was when I traveled for a year and I ate whatever was available two three times per day, my digestion was wrecked. I saw the most Jeez. beautiful things. I saw the Chinese Chinese walls and, and the Gobi deserts and all kinds of silly places. But my digestion was wrecked, and it took me years to resolve that. And fasting was one of the ways. And again, it's it, you, you give yourself a break from all these five thousand calories. So I honestly think that the fasting uh, delayed the progression of the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that I still ended up getting. But I think I would have had it way worse if I didn't do this fast. So I still do that. Yeah, and I think that's way more uh, beneficial than DMP who was going right, to raise all your uh, oxidative stress and your body temperature and you're, you get into this weird electrolyte balance and your thyroid hormones just <laughs> unregulate. Um, so no, 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 thanks. I did experiment with it. Um, mm. Yeah, but that lasted four days. Yeah, so I, I prefer everybody just to do fasting, even though it's tougher. You know, it's a lot tougher. I'm really happy you said that just because, um, like Mark's done a long-term fast, like a water fast, but, um, like every now and then I'll do maybe like a 48 hour. I haven't done a 72 hour yet. I'm planning on doing that in a, maybe a month or so, but I'm really happy that you mentioned that because maybe a little bit harder, but like you get used to it. You'll realize actually like half the way in that it's not that yeah. bad. It gets easier the longer you do it. So it, I'm, I'm really happy you mentioned that, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got inspired by Dr. Jason Fung. Um, maybe you guys are familiar with him. He's a yeah, diabetes, right? Yeah. So I, w I was going through the YouTube and you see, you see him talk about um, fasting and how it can cure type. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. Let's do a week <laughs> from, the, from the beginning. And of course it was very, very tough, but you know, I've, I've gone through multiple diets. So I know the mindset of just, you know, turning off the appetite. And uh, I found it very beneficial, and it also creates some character that you can't get anywhere else. Um, so, so right. So the longest, the longest thing, longest fast I did was two weeks with a with a one day refeed in between. Um, well, yeah. So six days, and then the one day eating. Uh, I, you know, I like to go out with my wife, so she was like, "Hey, we're not gonna not go out for two weeks, so let's go." Okay, so we went out <laughs> one day. And then I did another five days, but I feel that the, the one week fast is beneficial over the two week or the two fasts close together. Uh, how was your experience with fasting, Mark? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I, I, I like fasting quite a bit. You know, I utilize a lot of intermittent fasting. Um, I utilize uh, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a longer term fast here and there. Um, I did a, 
uh, I did a, like a modified fast, uh, that went for seven days and, um, it was base. It wasn't like a full, full fast, but the first uh, three days was, was pretty much a fast. And, and then the last, uh, two days you have about, you know, 500 calories or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience and it, it was, uh, got to be pretty hard around day, around day three. Um, just cause like I wasn't paying attention to like what day actually ended. And so like, I was like, wait, I got to make it through the fifth day. <laughs> it doesn't end on the fifth day, yeah. you know, it doesn't end the beginning of the fifth day. And so the third day was kind of a drag, but for the most part, it, uh, it felt really good. I leaned out a lot. Um, yeah. a hard thing with any sort of fast, any kind of fasting really is to, uh, you know, try to pretend that it never happened. And that's uh, one of Jason Fung's rules is he says, you know, the key to any type of fasting is to pretend that it never happened and not make up for the calories. And so that can be a difficult part of it. But I know people that use all kinds of different strategies with fasting. And I think it's a great way to pick off some, uh, some calories. I do think it's a good way to kind of recalibrate um, for sleep. I think it's a good way to recalibrate for your digestion and it's just something I think everyone should consider uh, doing at some point, whether it be just someone doing, you know, 12 or 16 hours or 16 hours or something like that. Um, I think everyone should at least look into it and try it out for themselves. Did you, did you, were you able to sleep? Okay. Did your sleep improve while fasting or did you found it more difficult to sleep as the fast was going along? Cause that's what I suffer from. Like on day three and four, I don't want to sleep. I'm just awake because I'm, such a deep state of ketosis that it's difficult to fall asleep. And many people have that issue. Did you have that issue as well? I actually slept better um, while I was doing it. But yeah, as the hunger kind of built, um, my energy levels would kick up uh, a little bit more here and there. Um, I think for me, actually, the further that I eat from going to sleep, the uh, easier it is for me to stay asleep. It might take a minute for me to fall asleep because, yeah, I might be like, damn, I'm kind of hungry. I might think about it a bit. Um, but it, in terms of staying asleep, it seemed to improve that quite a bit. So what I found that is almost just as effective, not as, as effective for the digestion, but effective regarding um, detoxification, fat loss, and just giving your digestion a break. Um, is fasting mimicking where you basically just eat vegetables, right? right? Or, or a very low caloric intake. So I did that for six weeks straight with a weekend refeed. And that's all right, how I was able to resolve the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But wow. that was also in a contest of using this this uh, appetite suppressant called uh, liraglutide being the GLP-1 receptor agonist. So it, I had five days I can do without. But if you do this weeks on end to resolve medical conditions, yeah, the some sort of appetite suppressant is probably desired. But I've, I've always done it without, up until five days. I do five and a half days. So uh, let's say Monday morning to Saturday morning. And then, uh, or what is it? Sunday evening to Saturday morning, right? So you have Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whole days that you don't eat. And then um, Saturday, I usually just continue with my regular diet, being a ketogenic meals. Because then you, right, you don't get this, this weird hunger sensation afterwards. I know a lot of guys, they break their fast with fruit and then it cascades into 
you know, some sort of carbohydrate uh, right. mania. So I always just go back on a ketogenic uh, meal plan, and then uh, maybe someday I'll eat something a little bit more adventurous. But like like you said, it's it's if you you just continue with your regular diet after the fast is completed. Have you noticed uh, when you fast, uh, whether you're on stuff or off stuff? Have you noticed like because a lot of people think that you're going to lose a bunch of muscle, um, and some people like with with me, they'll just say, "Oh, well, you're on shit, so of course you can fast." Uh, but in Sema, you know, he he goes a different route with uh, with what he does, and he does, you know, he does fine. He doesn't seem to be losing any muscle over there. What what's been your experience? So. If I do a fast uh, drug-free, I you lose fullness and glycogen in both cases enhanced or drug-free. You lose a fullness, you lose a, a lot of glycogen, a lot of water. Right, the scale drops down dramatically. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel that I really lose strength. I lose a little bit more strength now compared to being on stuff when I would fast. But it's usually it comes back in a few days. Like, and I usually schedule a deload when I want to fast. So I'm in an overtrained state or it's time to take a break from a week of grinding in the gym anyway. So I'd stop eating, stop training. And then I pick, usually pick up right where I left off, maybe one rep less, but the weights are the same. Yeah. The weights are the same. I don't, but I, we've been training for such a long time. So that also plays into it. I think the guys that have maybe a year or two of training under their belt and then do a week fast, yeah, they will lose all their gains because it's not, it's not hardened. Those gains are not hardened yet, you know, under the weight or on PEDs. So I, th- I think the longer you're training, the, the less of a negative effect you had, it has on your performance and only benefits, right? So it's, I feel it's highly beneficial and it's such a freebie. It's such a freebie. You just don't eat. Right. right? What are some things you've done to improve sleep? Have you found anything that's uh, been really effective in terms of helping you sleep? Uh. Not to be honest, I sleep usually pretty good. So I, I've never really had to incorporate much. Uh, nowadays, I run a little bit of melatonin before bed on days that I work late. So after this podcast, I will administer six milligrams of melatonin just to clock out. And then I uh, I can go to bed, but I don't do that every day. So like recently, I, I work a lot more. I have clients, all this business stuff that I have to manage. So when I work late until 9, 9.30 and I want to go back at 10, uh, I do run a little bit of melatonin. But I found that it works very well if I just stop all the work at around 8. Then I have about two hours to unwind. I just kind of calm down and relax and, and turn my brain off uh, naturally. And then go to bed at 10 o'clock. Just try to sleep according to the circadian rhythm the best best possible. And I, I also found it very easy to make myself tired with the strenuous workouts. And then you're just fried. At the end of the day, that puts me right to sleep also. So I, I, to be honest, I've never really had a need for sleep aids because I can always sleep well. Um, I just need to manage my day uh, properly. Otherwise, like after this, I'll probably be super awake. So I'll need some uh, some melatonin to put me to sleep. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, it's, it's not very exciting <laughs> for sleep. Sorry. But Do you I, suggest I any more than enough? Do you suggest anything to any of your clients that may have like other than melatonin to your clients that may have like real issues sleeping as we know, like sleeping is one of the biggest thing. If you're not getting good sleep and you're trying to gain muscle, you're trying to lose fat, like you're, you're kind of skipping over something huge. Right. So, um, is there anything else that you suggest lifestyle factors, et cetera, that'll make a pretty big difference for some people? 
Yeah, there's some low-hanging fruits. Like uh, again, what I do is, is turning off the, the the phones and the computers and all that stuff, so I don't get um, like stimulated in the in uh, mentally. So I just try to unwind mentally, let the work just kind of go away, and then not expose myself to blue light. Uh, that helps a little bit also. But sometimes I end up looking at some TV, I watching some TV. So that that's a little bit of blue light. I just slowly turn the lights off to kind of simulate the circadian rhythm because if you're always behind the computer screen or watching a television or keeping the lights on, you're not really allowing the circadian rhythm to sit in. Um, so I just slowly start turning the lights off. That worked quite well. Um, some guys just have difficulty sleeping. You know, there aren't too many androgens to keep you awake also. So maybe you have to space. Yeah, really. Yeah, maybe, maybe not take a pre-workout oral steroids if you train in the evening. Because those oral steroids will still be away, um, active after your workout, and then you're you know a little bit stimulated. Uh, cutting the coffee to uh, 4 p.m. Right, let that metabolize. And then there's things you can look into like a melatonin or 5-HTP, uh, mm-hmm. which is a building block for serotonin, or uh, or in combination with vitamin B6, I believe, B6, which then converts the serotonin into melatonin. Of course, you can't use this if you're running a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or any other antidepressants. So you'll have to see what you can use. And, and then there's GABA or Phenobut, but you should right, not use that every day because there's some withdrawal symptoms, especially with Phenobut. Um, but I think a lot of people, they just stimulate their brain a little bit too late in the day. And it's difficult to un- turn everything off. But I found that worked very, very well for me, especially when I had a lot of clients. Like the phone would just non-stop, you know, messages, messages, messages. So I just to put the phone away eight o'clock and just let myself calm down and then go to bed and maybe read something. Or, yeah. As boring as it sounds, but it, it, yeah, I think the mental, mental things helps quite a bit. Have you taken anything that uh, has worked really well for strength? Um, that's not necessarily like a steroid. Cause I know there's some things, uh, that can stimulate the brain a bit and can stimulate like the central nervous system. Have you personally utilized anything like that or suggested anything like that to clients? I think the most, most beneficial thing I noticed as a pre-workout was alpha GPC, which is a choline donor. So it helps with neurological drive and, and focus. A lot of people in the nootropic space just space out their alpha GPC over the day, maybe have 300 milligrams multiple times per day. But I found if I took that before the workout, 600 milligrams, it would just give me an insane drive and mind-muscle connection that I would otherwise not have. Um, Acmatine sulfate came before that. I think that's also found in a lot of pre-workouts and especially combination of Alcmatine sulfate and alpha-GPC. I found that it gives you an acute uh, response in the gym, right? And if you overdo it, just start grinding your teeth a little bit. So... Um, right there's there's a, a, an effective dose and a, and a too much dose and then you're still a little bit too stimulated afterwards. I found modafinil same same thing, right? But it's also not something you want to run every day. I don't have access to Adderall here uh, because it's highly illegal in Thailand, so I uh, unfortunately don't have the experience. But it, it might be the same as uh, modafinil. There's so many compounds that can increase your workout performance besides the the steroids. And there's so many, so, like there's a pre-workout mushrooms called peak O2. And I found it to be beneficial. 
Huh. So, so quick question, because yeah. I've heard Andrew, I've heard you mention mm-hmm. Alpha GPC before, Andrew. Um, is Alpha GPC uh, illegal in any sense, or is it like, is it just like, <laughs> is it something chill? Because I'm very curious about that. It's now. Or, supplement, it's yeah, just it's, a supplement. It's like the creatine mm. of like nootropics. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. Nice, to give this a shot. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, acmatine sulfate really came to the market. Um, and then uh, uh, Alpha GPC came out a little bit later, and I, I prefer Alpha GPC over Acmatine. Uh, but of course, on leg day, a combination. Um, you know, if you're trying to set some personal bests, then uh, <laughs> a combination might be uh, beneficial. And it's not something that you really get used to or that you need to do a post psychotherapy for. So I, that's why it's commonly found in most of the popular pre workouts. And Derek has a supplement line called Gorilla Mind, which has agmatine sulfate in the pre-workouts and alpha gpc in the nootropics so i just take both before leg day and then i have a killer workout yeah yeah what's a uh what's a proper dosage of alpha gpc because i've seen a lot of nootropics also have that and i'm a dork for nootropics but i've always seen that they don't have nowhere near enough but i don't know what enough actually is but i just know it seems like in that one little capsule like there's just no way they can compact enough of uh, alpha gpc to make it effective i I, I think like 300 milligrams is already effective and then in the context of a pre-workout maybe 600 milligrams I, i went up to 900 milligrams one time but i did not notice a dose dependent increase in performance so for me i feel that 600 milligrams alpha gpc is like the max dose that i can get benefits from during the workout and then it depends on which workout I have. If I have a quad day, I do 600 milligrams. If I have a chest day, I do 600 milligrams because I want to increase those body parts. Back, it's already developed, so 300 milligrams is enough, or I skip it. Um, I heard some people use 1,200 milligrams. Personally, I would say that okay, that might be overkill. Um, so I, I think everybody can just start low, 300 milligrams, and, and see if they need a dose increase. Right. Uh, same with same with acmatine sulfate. Maybe five hundred milligrams is enough, or seven fifty. I've had up to fifteen hundred milligrams acmatine sulfate plus six hundred milligrams alpha, alpha GPC before a quad day, and and those turn into legendary uh, leg sessions. Right? That you get exhilarated when you're done. You're like, oh my god, good job, you know. <laughs> so some people uh, will yeah, utilize work out uh, a lot of fun. Some people will utilize like Cialis and stuff like that before a workout, right? And it's supposed to help oh, yeah. pump in, <laughs> in some of the other muscles, right? Yeah. Don't have any girls around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the leg press is okay. You can hide it. But front, front laterals, no, you can't hide that stuff. Um, so, yeah. No sweatpants. So Cialis, yeah, for the pumps, it's definitely... Yeah, no <laughs> Exactly. So... Cialis usually works for the pumps. I can't say that it increases strength, um, but it helps to control your blood pressure. So if you're doing, you know, heavy deadlifts or or leg presses or, or whatever that raises your blood pressure, Cialis might actually protect you against that. Um, it might also give you a tomato face, uh, which is not due to the high blood pressure, but simply because of the capillaries expanding. Like every time I, uh, John, I love you, John Meadows. You're the best guy ever. But every time I see that guy train, I'm reminded. I got to take my Cialis before the workout. And I'm not insinuating that, <laughs> that John is taking Cialis, but it just reminds me like, yeah, that's exa- I get the same red face 
when I do heavy sets, you know, because it just opens the capillaries and it protects your uh, your entire body, uh, the Cialis that way. But it's it's just a, a side effect, you know. That's wow. what I always got. So people always laugh. Why you have a tomato face? So, well, protecting myself with Cialis against high blood pressure. But the pumps are very very good. Yeah, especially if you have a little bit of sodium, some electrolytes pre workout. Mm. And you you researching all this, you uh. In researching all this, you must have come across uh, some performance enhancement in the bedroom, I'm sure, as well. Uh, is there anything you could share with us uh, in that regard? Uh, yes. <laughs> have you guys been watching all my videos or no? I've seen, I've, seen quite a, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen quite a bit of, st- of your stuff, and uh, I'm familiar with, uh, with Leo's stuff and with Derek's stuff a lot. And, okay. um, yeah, I definitely have checked out uh, cool. quite a few of your videos. So, um I don't think I've gotten no, into any of that. I've seen yeah, I've seen you talk specifically. Uh, one of your videos was about like uh, stubborn body fat, which I found really amazing because a lot of people when they talk about stubborn body fat, they usually just say, "Hey, like being a caloric deficit," which is definitely uh, there's definitely truth to that. But you had like real specifics, like if you have fat over here, take this. If you have fat over there, take that. But I also just figured that uh, you must have stumbled upon some stuff <laughs> in this realm since you've uh, been studying performance enhancement so much. Yeah, it's a performance enhancing drugs for the bedroom. So I actually got the idea from Tony, who talked about a Tony Huge, uh, Dr. Tony Huge. So he mentioned something about PT one for one like a while ago. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's like melanotan. So I started researching a little bit and I couldn't really find the source up until recently. So this PT one for one, it acts on the min, um, the mineralocorticoid receptor, well, melanocortin receptors, similar to how melanotan uh, makes you uh, a little bit darker. It acts on uh, melanocortin receptors. Sometimes I mix up particular <laughs> receptors. Um, it acts on the ones that make you tanned, also make you nauseous, and might also give you an erection. And then PT one for one is a little bit modified. That only works on the melanocortin receptor that gives you um, erections, like right? libido and a little bit of tanning and a little bit of nausea. So I'm like, okay, this sounds great. I'm going to run it every day. And then over the course of three weeks, I still got a tan, right? So <laughs> there's like a phase in my, in my bodybuilding or in my videos where I just got tandered and tanned. And it was an <laughs> ugly tan because I, st- I stayed inside. I'm working behind the desk all day, helping with clients, making YouTube videos, that kind of stuff. So you got this like horrible, like muddy tan that I got. And my lib- libido was great. My wife was very happy. Right, we would time it perfectly, Hand and then the over time, it just got darker. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. It has to go somewhere, right? Um, so, <laughs> so I got tender and tender, and after all, she's like, I, "I like the paler husband. This is right. Your libido was good before, and uh, the, the the extra libido boost does not warrant you turning this muddy color." And then in the comment section, people start. You know, so Steve, you're getting intense. No, man, I'm staying inside all day. But this PT one for one is just, it's hilarious, right? Like if I had a beautiful tan, it would be okay. But it was ugly and people just started making fun of me. So, so the libido boost that you get from it is actually quite good. One milligram, you know, a couple hours before you want to get busy. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I would do it infrequently. <laughs> I could just imagine the YouTube comments just because I know what fitness YouTube is like. They're like, Steve, like these, the, this shit's turning you into a BBC, Steve. Like that's what YouTube is going to say. Right. Like, uh, that's what these YouTube kids are going to say. If I, had, 
if I had like two BBCs, like the ten ah. and the BBC, that would be that would be great. Oh, right? I didn't have to go to the beach and and then put it to work. But I got neither. I got um, <laughs> I got the libido <laughs> and a little bit of a muddy color that yeah didn't even come close to a nice natural ten. So. <laughs> So for that experiment uh, ran its course, and now I have uh, one file left in the fridge for a rainy day. Um, you know, weddings, uh, wedding anniversaries, right? A bit, yeah. two hours. Gonna hit. Yeah, so that that will be a, a combination of Cialis and PT one for one. You have a good night. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What about uh, just getting like bigger and stronger? What are some things uh, like? What are the, the common cycles that you've seen uh, be super effective for somebody that's uh, listening that wants to slap on twenty pounds, but wants to maybe do so in the safest way possible? It's so hard to give general recommendations. It's it, right, the more research that I do and the more blood work that I've seen over the years. Like everybody response to a particular comp. I wish there was a black and white answer, honestly. I, I would just say test and primo. And it, it holds up for most people. But some people get very high hematocrit levels on test, and then adding the primo on top will shoot their hematocrit through the moon. So it, it, you can't give a blanket statement like that and then because some guys still get an adverse reaction. Some guys do very well on test and nandrolone. Some guys do very well on test. Some guys don't do well on test. They need only nandrolone. Um, so... What I would say is if you really want to gain 20 pounds, you got to treat it like a full-time job and then use the blood work to uh, support your decision-making process regarding which pharmacology you're going to use, which is, I know it's such an annoying answer, but yeah, that's, that's if you want to do it safely, if you want to get that, those 20 pounds with the minimal side effects, then, then that's how it has to be, unfortunately, mm. right? You start somewhere and then you, as you do your blood work and introduce compounds, you keep the ones that your body agrees with and you throw the ones that give you intolerable side effects or are, are effective up until a certain dose and then give you intolerable side effects. Um, yeah, I wish, I wish it was so easy, but let's say you put 20 bodybuilders in the room and they all gain 20 pounds. You have 20 different cycles and of course, 20 different blood work results. Um, for me personally, I would say like, my, my, my short list of PEDs that I still want to take is very, very, very short. Test, Primo, Anavar, maybe GH, maybe insulin. And those probably already off. So that's about it. And I think I, think I can gain 20, 25 pounds with those, those three. Of course, there will be muscle memory. But I've done this with clients. You know, they want to gain 20 pounds, just three compounds. And, and their blood work is pretty acceptable. Um, is it good? Not the same as before, but it's as good as it can be. Yeah, because, again, we always have to sacrifice a little bit to get those results. I think what you said in the beginning of that is uh, to try to treat it like a job. And I think, um, you know, anyone that's looking to really, you know, uh, do anything drastic with fitness, you know, looking to slice their body fat in half or looking to increase their bench press by 50 pounds or looking to gain 20 pounds of muscle or, or whatever it is that someone's goal is, you do have to treat it like a job. And maybe for some, they don't want to ever dive into treating it like a full-time job, but um, you are going to want to consider it and think about it and put your best effort into it uh, as much as you reasonably can. 
I think it's important. Yeah. No, I highly agree because if you do treat everything else as a job, then the pharmacology needed to get you towards your goals are so much lower. And it's, it's the drugs that over time make you sick, right? Especially if you are not sick, but diminish your health a little bit. It's, it's not necessarily the diet or the hardcore training. Okay. You might get some injuries from the hardcore training, but I, I feel that the pharmacology is always the, the, the most unhealthy part of getting towards your goals and you can do it without it. You can develop a great physique without it, but if you want a little bit more, um, I would, I would treat it like a full-time job and then sprinkle a little bit of PEDs on top, right? To, to sustain your health in the short term and long term. But I, the key is treating it like a job because that's, that's how you get most of the results. So you do it's some like, consulting. I'm sure you guys see it. So you do Sorry? some consulting for people, right? Um, do you, uh, do you work with any female, uh, athletes as well and then you have them on like a hormone protocol also or no i used to because my wife was competing so i would have i've I've helped a lot of women in my years but i've to be honest i've kind of lost interest after my wife stopped competing um so she competed at the world championships asian championships (laughs) yeah yeah right well a lot of women came to me because they wanted to look like my wife and my wife was a relentless man with her work. She treated it. She was so regimented, right? And that's why she would always win. Yeah, she, she won pretty much everything every time she competed. Wow. And then all the women would come to me. They wanted to be like my wife, but they didn't want to put the effort. And over time, I got a little bit turned off from that. So I, I stopped coaching women this year, basically. I still did last year, but I just stopped taking as many clients, uh, female clients. But I do offer consultations once in a while, uh, but I, d- I don't want to do it full to- to, uh, time anymore. And, and maybe I got spoiled because I saw this relentlessness with my wife, and now I'm comparing all of my female clients to this insane level of dedication uh, that is required uh, to be phenomenal as a woman without virilization. Right? Because, again, the women, if they expose themselves to performance-enhancing drugs, it's so easy to undo your voice. Or get the clitoral enlargement. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's in many cases irreversible, unfortunately. And, and that's the last thing I want is if a woman comes to me and I, they, they have these very high aspirations, which require a certain amount of drugs, uh, then I'm guiding them towards this journey of masculinization. And I, I don't really feel comfortable with that anymore. Um, so I, I kind of let it go. But I do offer consultations sometimes with women uh, if, if they're interested. Right? And I made, recently made a couple of videos basically discussing everything that I feel is relatively safe for women to do um, based on everything that I've learned over the years. But I, I, yeah, I like to work with guys that are like me, you know, bodybuilders, meatheads is fun. Have you ever uh, worked with any older clients or anybody that's like really considering like the the long game the longevity of it all um i, I asked this question because i actually just seen a um a, a former guest on the show uh, had tweeted out that he was only going to put on a little bit amount of muscle because he wants to live as long as possible kind of insinuating that the more muscle you have the less you're going to be here so i'm curious if you ever uh you know how, how much does that come into play or if you've done any research that can, you know, I guess debunk that thought of the more muscle you have, the less time you'll have? Well, there is some evidence that like a caloric restriction and having a lower body fat levels or body mass in general, because it's less strain on your heart, 
has been associated with longer life. Now, let's say you turn into 110, right? And at 110 years old, you look back in your life and you realize you have not lived. You have not reached any of the goals that you wanted. You didn't lift any of crazy weights. You didn't look crazy in the mirror, right? You didn't get all this attention. You didn't accomplish anything in the fitness industry. It sounds like a very boring life to me. Um, so I would rather live a little bit shorter with a little bit more muscle and a little bit more experience and, and, and some recognition and being able to transfer some of my knowledge to other people and help them in, the, in a sense, then do everything correctly preventatively and then sit on my porch at the age of 110 um, full with regrets of things that I didn't do. So, but that's just me. So, but I would, yeah, I would rather have a little bit of gains, man, and enjoy myself and I, and take the good with the bad, you know? And then now I went through this bad period to get myself healthy, but I, I got myself healthy. And now I feel that I'm ready to uh, pursue that journey again. And will it take years off my life? Probably. But I, I think at the end, I can say I had a pretty freaking awesome life. Uh, you know, right? So... This something, that, <laughs> yeah, I think something that people don't really tend to think about, especially like when it comes to when, when you see a lot of like center, like I think they're called centarians, just very old individuals who are small, um, and who aren't holding very much muscle. First off, the, like the whole physical culture is still relatively new when we really think about it, like lifting weights consistently over years is still a new thing. People didn't really do this normally in the thirties, forties, fifties, and even the sixties. Right. So I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of individuals who have muscle, who are older, because like, for example, if, if we, if our body's used to holding this much muscle and obviously as you get older, you're going to hold less and less, you're going to lose a little bit of muscle here and there. But if you're used to staying physical, if you're used to working out to older age and your body is used to that, it's holding its correct amount of muscle. I think there should be no issue with living to be very, very old. I just think we haven't seen that much because there aren't that many people who have done stuff like us, you know, in recent years. So I think the pharmacological oh, I, stuff yeah, is uh, new too. you know, with people having healthy practices and the pharmacology that we have around. Um, yeah. It's just gonna be a matter of time before we see people that are, I mean, we're seeing people now in their fifties and extending into their sixties where they're still in really good shape. It won't be long before we see people in their sixties and seventies and so on. It's just going to keep prolonging. I think. Yeah. I mean, I look at Robbie Robinson, he's still in pretty good shape. Um, right. And he's, he's still going strong. I, I think he has sickle cell anemia. So that, but that's a genetic issue. Yeah. Um, but I, I see it more frequently, you know, guys that are in very good physical shape and, and, and perhaps took a little bit of performance enhancing drugs or still took them. Um, I think it's like you said, it, I think it's a matter of time, maybe 30, 40 years from now when, when all of us are turning a little bit older and we're somehow able to sustain a, a decent amount uh, compared to the previous generations. I think we'll see that as we all age. Now, of course, I made some mistakes in my past that might not set me up for the best route in the future, but maybe the generation that's getting into it now, they can probably make better decisions regarding their pharmacological journey than I did. And then later on, they'll have a better outcome, you know, when they're still jacked at 70, or maybe there's new drugs to keep them going at that age. The peptide scene is always increasing. There's, there's so many, there's, there's peptides now that, 
can restore telomeres, right? That's the end of the DNA. So that can actually prevent aging and, and collagen synthesis. And, and that, right? So there's so many new compounds coming out that might extend life later on. So hopefully they won't be too expensive that you have to pay your, uh, <laughs> have to pay your pension for it. Right. That's a whole anti-aging scene. It's so expensive, man. It's really, uh, really pricey. When do you think you'll uh, get back on stuff? Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, listen, I've, I've been trading at the last two months or something. I feel that I've kind of plateaued. And I know, again, I can increase my calories, but I, I don't want this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease to come back. And I don't want to fall into that old lifestyle where I'm just uh, eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. Um, so if my MRI results come back 100% and I talk with my cardiologist, um, I'm starting 125 milligrams testosterone per week plus 100 milligrams of Primo. So that is not hormone replacement. That's not really a cycle either. So it's basically a baby cycle. And that will be it for as long as I can get results from it because I think I, the muscle memory will kick in and I should be able to sustain my blood work pretty well on that, uh, on that dose. And that will be it. For now, 125 um, milligrams yeah, honestly, of testosterone. Why even bother? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what a lot of people say. But listen, my my test is like 600 in the morning, right? 600 nanograms for this lead, and then it kind of tapers off later in the day. So even going on a little bit of test, even if it doesn't raise it much, it will still stay stable. And of course, the primo on top. Like, and if it's not sufficient, I can always increase the dose. I can always go on 250 and, and 200 Primo. But the last time I ran 250 tests and 200 Primo, plus growth hormone, plus insulin, I was 115 kilos. So that's, how much is that? Two, 250 pounds, 255 pounds. And I, I have no desire to be 255 again. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather be like 225 lean. Maybe maybe two two ten even, so I I don't think I need that much to get there. I just need to be lean and then do my daily cardio. Would growth <laughs> don't hormone need and, to do cardio, right? Would growth hormone and insulin do a lot even without uh, testosterone and primavolin? Yeah, you'd still gain a lot of size, probably, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like with younger guys. Um, that come to me and they, they don't want to shut down their HPTA but do want a little bit of boost, there are methods to right, increase their nutrient partitioning a little bit with some insulin or increase their growth hormone levels with exogenous growth hormone, and they get good results. They get good results, and they just write out their endogenous testosterone being 600, 700, 800 nanograms per deciliter. Of course, at one point, it will go back on steroids, and I was running growth hormone for most of the time uh, during the post-cycle therapy and a little bit afterwards. And I, I use a little bit of insulin here and there during leg day, and it makes a huge difference, or well, at least for me. Some people say it doesn't, right? Individual response or uh, diversion tactics. I, I'm always not really sure what it is, you know, trying to divert people from <laughs> saying that insulin doesn't work or, um, you know, it really didn't work. But That's the, the fitness industry. But, yeah, there's... You don't always need to go and test if you want to, you know, have some performance enhancing benefits. Awesome having you on the show today. We really, uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you? 
Uh, they can find me on Vigorous Steve YouTube channel, and it's pretty much the same everywhere. So that's on Instagram at Vigorous Steve, VigorousSteve.com, Vigorous Steve YouTube channel, right? On Podbean, it's Vigorous Steve on Spotify. They just type in Vigorous Steve, and I'm sure, right, on Google, and you'll, you'll get to me. Um, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. It's good to talk to you Thank guys you. about fasting and everything that we talked about. It's, uh, it was my honor to be on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate having you on, and I, I appreciate your, uh, your YouTube channel. I think it's great. I think people that are uh, you know checking this out today, they should go and investigate and look uh, look at the content that you have because you've got great information that could really truly help people, uh, you know, and prevent them from kind of hurting themselves with uh, all the different you know things that people are getting interested in. They're not sure exactly kind of where to start, and I think your videos are a great place to start. So uh, they should definitely check out your content. Mm-hmm. Oh, have a great rest thanks of your so day much. yeah no, i accidentally you too, guys. i tried to mute myself i muted oh, okay, so no problem. sorry about that <laughs> no problem guys thanks so much for having me All right. and i uh, okay. hope to do this again have Take a great care, day guys. awesome yeah. thank you thank you too see ya oh. that, that was vigorous cool. <laughs> it wasn't like i like honestly i think he was i mean we've had a lot of guests on that are very knowledgeable on that stuff but i think that he was the most he 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 didn't just have a lot of knowledge but he also had um he, he had a lot of advice in terms of doing it in the safest way possible like the amount of tests that he was suggesting that people need to get you know the all of these things that i personally don't think most people are even close to doing i think that he gave people the most uh, detailed rundown on if you want to do this this is what it really does take. And I, I I really appreciate that from him. Yeah. I think we should do a full, full on follow-up episode uh, regarding what he said, but yeah, no, everything was great. Um, I, I see why the guy has a big following on YouTube. He knows his shit. I think, you know, uh, there is this like kind of cascade right now of uh, young people, you know, dabbling in uh, taking performance enhancing drugs and stuff. But I do think that the good that will come of it is there are more people talking about it and more people talking about it openly. And what I'm seeing a trend in is just people talking about much more reasonable dosages. Like I was kidding around with him when he said 125 milligrams, but uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon years ago to, to take, you know, 500 or a thousand milligrams of testosterone a week. I mean, that was just, pretty much what a lot of people did. And then on top of that, they were taking other stuff, you know, two or three other compounds and uh, just dumping in tons of stuff. And the the problem with that is, um, I mean, it's, it's problematic in multiple ways, but one of the biggest issues with that is just, you're not allowing yourself to even see what a little boost will do. You're just kind of starting out with this big bang and you have no idea like what that's going to do for you. And obviously you'll get stronger, you'll get bigger that way. Uh, but anyone who's just kind of starting out or thinking about it, it's like, why not? Like he said, you can always take more if he needs to. Um, but to try to rewind and to try to undo the clock or to try to unring that bell, uh, later on is difficult. And for him, he had to come off for a couple months and, uh, he had to go through some, some different things. And those are, those are all things to consider, you know, when, when someone is considering going on stuff. And I think one of the issues we see with some of the younger folks is there's just, there's not really thinking about it much at all. They're just thinking about the positive gains that they're going to get. And they're not really considering any of the possible, 
uh, negative things that could happen. And it's just, um, it's unfortunate because, you know, you really want to have your training in check. You want to have your nutrition in check and you want to make sure that you're paying attention to your health. You know, I, I guess I, it's fair for me to say, even though I started at 25, which is fairly young, you know, I had a long, I had a lot of lifting, uh, that was done previously. And I had my nutrition in check. Like I got myself in good shape. I got myself, I figured out how to get myself strong. I figured out how to, uh, you know, make myself a halfway decent athlete. I I had to really study and like kind of learn a lot of stuff and I guess almost even earn the right to think, Hey, I want to take this to the next level and let me see what that's going to look like. And um, you might not have to research and investigate uh, as much because nowadays you can you can find other resources that have that information. So it's kind of cool. You don't necessarily need to study it day in and day out, but uh, you can go to diff- some different YouTube channels, listen to some different podcasts, gather the information that you need, and then you can make it uh, a, uh, a smarter decision rather than just kind of like haphazardly jumping into it and then uh, ending up with a bunch of side effects that you just were totally unaware of. Yeah. And also, you know, he talked about it and we've talked about it in the past, but blood work <laughs> and, you know, again, just to bring them back up because they did sponsor today's episode, but Merrick health, you know, this is going to be the easiest way for you guys to, you know, if you are going to dabble, you know, this is going to help, make sure that you have your markers in line to really know exactly where you stand um, links to, to Merrick down below, but yeah, it's just MerrickHealth.com slash power project for the, uh, the bundle that's going to cover everything that you're going to need. Um, and again, promo code power project uh, to take the uh, $500 price tag down to three ninety nine. And all you little teens out there who are thinking that you only, you know, develop your peak physique after three to five years of training. Yeah. No, you don't. So take that. Keep training. <laughs> take <Shit. that. laughs> it pisses me off, man. You know, you, you do. Um, Stan and I talked about this quite a bit before. And I've talked with many other people like you do kind of get most of what you're going to get. Um kind of early, you know, three, like in a three to five year pocket, you know, Our but that doesn't, though. but yeah, but, to, but it doesn't mean that like anything stops. It actually, what also happens is you actually acquire a lot more knowledge in that time period and you can start to make uh, gains later on. And you can also make, there's different kinds of, of uh, gains that you can make because like it's never ending. Like there's more plates all the time. There's always uh, there's always more reps that can be done. There's always more sets that can be done. And as you start to train longer, you know, we'll always be interested in bench squat deadlift, but you'll always uh, be, you'll always have interest in different things within strength, you know, dragging the sled, doing walking lunges, uh, doing the bottoms up kettlebell things that you're doing. And you're always going to find like new and different ways to, uh, to challenge yourself. So you can make progress literally forever. Um, I mean, I, I just did some deadlifts the other day, but I did a deadlift that I haven't done in years. And I did like 10 sets of five or six reps on a reverse band deadlift. To me, that was like progress just because I have not done that particular exercise in forever. So it's like a, you know, it's a, you have different PRs at different points in your life and different at different body weights at different leanness. You know, you can kind of compare your lifting now to 
when you were mainly just concentrating on powerlifting and you can compare that to mainly when you were just bodybuilding Mm -hmm. and they're all different because now you're jujitsu practitioner. That's your main focus. And if you go in the gym and you were to deadlift, uh, you know, seven, 35 or something, you could say that's a PR for now at this body weight, because you, before that you were 270 or whatever, and you were competing in powerlifting. So there's, there's different, they're all different, but there's still, still progress. You could still Mm -hmm. make a lot of progress as you keep going. Absolutely. It, it, it makes no sense. And there's so, yeah, there's so many different ways you can make progress, different body weights. You could be a certain strength at a certain body fat percentage. Like I look at that a lot too. Like, like, have I ever been this lean and strong before? Nope. Like that is a PR, you know, the last, like I, I was this strong when I was a higher body fat percentage. So it makes sense. Um, after you guys are done, I want to brag about our podcast real quick. Cause I just pulled up some rankings and I have some pretty what? insane shit to mention. It's, it's kind of wild got going on. All right. Hey, what so are you talking about? This is pretty sick. I, I went to our Apple podcast chart rankings on chartable and in the United States of America, in terms of fitness, we're number eight as, as far as all what? of this podcast, but Hey, check out, check this out. This is wild. Is it we're just first me? Off. That's number eight or you guys in there too. I'm like number 40 and Andrew's number 26, Oh, okay. but um, yeah, you're number eight, you're number eight, but this is, this is some stuff that I didn't realize. Like, first off, we're listened to all over the fucking world, but in China, we're number seven as far as fitness and hey, wait up. There's, there's, there's more, like there's a lot of other really dope rankings, but we are the number one fitness podcast in Finland. We are the number That's one fitness up. podcast in Romania. We are the number one overall podcast um actually we're the number one health and fitness and fitness podcast in the fucking cayman islands and as far as all the podcasts in the cayman (laughs) islands all podcasts in the cayman islands we're number 19 we're also like really (laughs) high ranked in a bunch of other countries but i was just like what the fuck is going on in the cayman islands also papa new guinea we're number one in terms of fitness so we're really high in other countries none of it surprises me it's all very deliberate that's why we have so much ethnicity going on in the show <laughs> hey, do do you think we can go on tour to the Cayman Islands? Maybe so, somebody will know us there. Right. <laughs> oh my God, it's a power project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're number twelve in Canada in terms of fitness, but yeah, we, yeah. we have a lot of really high ranks. We uh, can't it's walk dope. down the street in Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> all right i gotta poop okay Okay, well all right well let's get out of here uh that was awesome thanks for those in cima and thank you everybody for that has been able to rate review the podcast um if you downloaded the episode if you've written a review um thank you so much really appreciate it and it's Mm -hmm. it's a free way for you guys to say thank you if you you know feel inclined to do so for any of the podcasts that we've done um yeah just itunes um rate review i believe it's going to be down in the uh podcast uh show notes as well as the um youtube description uh there's going to be a link for you guys to be able to rate and review and again shout out to merrick health for sponsoring today's episode merrickhealth.com slash power project promo code power project at checkout on the power project bundle that'll save you 101 dollars um please make sure you find the podcast at mark bell's power project on instagram at mb power project on tiktok and twitter my instagram and twitter is at i am andrew z at the andrew z on tiktok and sema where are you at and see my yin yang on Instagram and YouTube and see my yin yang on TikTok and Twitter, Mark. Great show today, guys. Strength is never weakness. I'm at Mark Smelly Bell. Catch you guys later. Bye.